Congress is preparing to send Israel billions more in aid as the relationship between the U.S. and Israel continues to corrode. Joe Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu are said to be barely speaking. Our story is coming up on this Monday, February 12th. You're listening to WBUR's All Things Considered. Good afternoon, I'm Lisa Mullins. Also ahead, economics and Valentine's Day. Americans are paying a lot more for chocolate than we did a few years ago. Pre-pandemic, our Belgian chocolates were around $65 a pound, and they're now $85. So it has really gone up. The main culprit, the price of cocoa. Also, we remember the man who said good morning to millions of NPR and WBR listeners for 25 years. Morning Edition host Bob Edwards has died at the age of 76. It's 401. News headlines are next. Live from NPR News, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Fear of more bloodshed and civilian deaths is building in the southern Gaza city of Rafah after Israel said it had rescued two hostages held by Hamas since the militant group's October 7th attack on Israel. NPR's Ada Peralta has more on Israeli strikes overnight. NPR's producer in Rafa, Anas Baba, says Palestinians were awakened by the sound of explosions and gunfire. The Al-Huda Mosque was destroyed by an airstrike. Sanat al-Kurd saw it. Every day we lose everything. We lose our family, we lose our health, we lose our mosques, we lose our children and our, uh, our houses. You know, uh, where's the humanity? Israel has warned of an upcoming ground operation in Rafah. But these airstrikes, they say, were actually cover for the rescue operation. The Israeli military says the two rescued hostages are in good condition. Health authorities in Gaza say at least 60 Palestinians were killed during the assault. It Pralta, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The U.S. has warned Israel against carrying out a full-scale offensive in Rafah without a plan to get more than a million Palestinian civilians to safety. Houston police say the female shooter who attacked Pastor Joel Austin's megachurch yesterday used an AR-style semi-automatic rifle on it, a sticker with the word Palestine. Police say they found anti-Semitic writings at the woman's home, but motive remains unknown. She was killed by law enforcement. Two people were wounded, including a seven-year-old boy believed to be the shooter's son. For the third time in roughly a month, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, this time for a bladder-related issue. Here's NPR's Tom Bowman. Secretary Austin is in the intensive care unit, undergoing a series of tests and evaluations, his doctors say. They say the current bladder issue is not expected to change the anticipated full recovery. It's not clear when he'll be released. Austin has canceled a trip this week to the NATO summit in Brussels. Austin entered the hospital for prostate surgery in late December, returning about a week later due to complications. Austin kept those visits secret for a time from the White House and Congress, and a review of the communication breakdown is under review by Austin's office and the Pentagon Inspector General. Tom Bowman, NPR News. Tributes are pouring in for the late Radio Hall of Fame inductee Bob Edwards. For more than a generation, Edwards was the voice to which NPR listeners began their days when he hosted Morning Edition. I'm Bob Edwards. Today is Monday, September 13th, and this is NPR's Morning Edition. The Louisville native is being remembered as the consummate newsman who introduced listeners to some of the most compelling interviews and weekly conversation, including with sports broadcasting legend Red Barber. Connection to millions of listeners continued on XM Satellite Radio. He died Saturday at the age of 76. You're listening to NPR News.
This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. A nor'easter is heading toward the Boston area. A winter storm warning goes into effect for nearly all of eastern and central Mass at 1 a.m. WBUR meteorologist Danielle Noyes expects it to snow through most of the day tomorrow. Snow arrives 4 to 6 a.m. tomorrow, may start briefly as rain in Boston, then flip over, and conditions will deteriorate pretty rapidly over the course of the morning. The height of the storm, mid-morning through early afternoon, that's when snowfall rates of 1 to 2 inches per hour are likely under the heaviest bands. Snowfall totals, a widespread 8 to 12 inches anticipated. There'll be less over the Mass New Hampshire border with a sharp cutoff and about 5 to 8 inches on Cape Cod with a wet, pasty snow. It all ends 4 to 6 p.m. Gust to 40 miles per hour at the coast, 50 to 60 on Cape Cod may result in some pockets of damage and outages, and there'll be some minor to moderate pockets of coastal flooding. Governor Maura Healy is telling non-emergency state employees to work from home tomorrow because of the weather. She warned this afternoon the storm could pack a punch. Dangerous driving conditions with low visibility, snow accumulating quickly, and this will be a heavy and wet snow. We expect high wind gusts with the potential to bring down tree limbs uh, and power lines. School is already canceled tomorrow in a number of communities, including Boston, Brookline, Medford, and Salem. The T says because of the storm, shuttle buses will replace trolleys on the Mattapan line. Low-income transit riders may be able to ride the T at a discount this summertime. The MBTA says it plans to offer reduced fares across the system. The plan will get a vote from the Board of Directors next month, as WBR's Ninjor and Romeka reports. The plan will cut fares in half for low-income riders across all modes of transit on the MBTA. 62,000 riders are expected to be eligible. Lindsay Heffernan is the MBTA's chief of policy. She predicts this will lead to 8 million additional trips. From previous research, we know that when riders with lower income are provided with reduced fares, they will take 30% more trips and that they will take more trips to health care and social services. T officials say the program will cost roughly $60 million. The governor has proposed $45 million to help get the program off the ground. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Zaninjor and Wameka. A Suffolk Superior Court ruling has upheld ethics violations against a select board member in the town of Aquina on Martha's Vineyard. Gary Haley was accused of violating conflict of interest laws by selecting himself to do work for the town. He then billed the community for more than $17,000 and approved the request himself. The court's ruling upholds a state ethics commission decision that included a $10,000 penalty against Haley. Again, in the forecast, briefly look for some snow to start before dawn tomorrow, starting off with rain. Between 8 o'clock in the morning and 4 in the afternoon, we could get some heavy rain, sometime, uh, heavy snow that is, sometimes about 1 to 2 inches collecting per hour during that period. Snow should move out by 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Maybe about 8 to 12 inches on the ground in Greater Boston, 5 to 8 on Cape Cod with some wild winds there. We'll be getting updates on the forecast through the afternoon here at 90.9 WBUR. It's 4.07. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, supporting creative people and effective institutions committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is at macfound.org. Hi, it's Margaret Lowe, WBUR CEO. I wanted to write something for our Valentine's Day fundraiser, and there's a poem that I love that speaks to the importance of human connection in a world where that's so fleeting and fragile. The poem is called Small Kindnesses by Danusha Lamaris. 
She writes, I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by, or how strangers still say, bless you, when someone sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague. Don't die, we're saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder, and for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. I like your hat. Small kindnesses, isn't that a lovely poem? It is a small kindness to send someone you love flowers today, and it will mean a lot to us too. Just go to WBUR.org and hit the donate button. It's the one with the little heart next to it. I just love that, the idea of small kindnesses. And just think of being able to send somebody a beautiful bouquet on Valentine's Day and support WBUR at the same time. We're going to be going to the news in uh, just about two minutes. But first, we just want to remind you that even though there's going to be snow in the forecast, we don't know exactly how much just yet. Valentine's Day will not be a washout because it's coming no matter what the weather's going to be. And this is a great time, and especially great time for you to pledge to WBUR. Get beautiful Winston flowers for somebody that you like or love and not even have to worry about it tomorrow. You get it done right now. Hi, Jay Clayton. Hi, Lisa Mullins. Yeah, let the white of winter that's heading our way tomorrow be replaced by the reds, vibrant reds of spring on Wednesday, Valentine's Day. To do that, we need to get your order in by 8 o'clock this evening. We cannot take orders tomorrow. So this is the moment to call WBUR. The number is 1-800-909-9287. Or you can take a look at the choices, four of them at our website, WBUR.org, and choose the perfect gift for your Valentine. Or if you want to send this to several people, maybe in your family, you can do that too. And we would greatly appreciate it because your gift also becomes support for the journalism that you listen to here. It means an awful lot to us. And you know when uh, whoever your your recipient is of the flowers gets them, it's going to mean an awful lot to them as well, and probably even more so when they know that part of the contribution came to WBUR. And that's part of the, the price that you're looking at when you look on the web at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. It includes a contribution to WBUR. So we are so grateful. The recipient of the flowers is going to be really grateful as well. And Jay Clayton, I should say that the flowers in front of us right now. So we have the flower of the monk bouquet, which has beautiful little tea roses, pink tea roses and gorgeous red roses. And then this other romantic arrangement, which is just beyond words spectacular. Um, these were here on Friday when you and I left the studio. Yes. And it's kind of, you know, hot and uncomfortable in the studio under the lights. And they look spectacular. Yeah, they're holding up quite well. Maybe Sharon Brody was doing a great job at watering them. Maybe she took care of them. Knowing Sharon, she probably did. And that's why they look so nice. So we hope you understand that these are really high-quality flowers. And you're supporting high-quality news when you 
Go to the phone right now or pledge online, WBUR.org, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You can do this by 8 o'clock tonight, and you know, it's a feel-good all the way around. You're going to feel good knowing that you're doing something meaningful for someone you care about. They're going to feel good receiving your gift. And of course, we're all going to benefit from your generosity with more of this journalism that we're going to get you right to here on All Things Considered. 1-800-909-9287 is the number. The website is WBUR.org. Thanks. WBUR supporters include Mass General Brigham Health Plant, offering innovative plans, comprehensive coverage, and a broad network of doctors, all connected to one of the world's leading healthcare systems. Mass General Brigham Health Plant, with you every day. For more information, call your broker or visit MassGeneralBrighamHealthPlan.org. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes was last night's Super Bowl MVP. His performance against the San Francisco 49ers puts him in elite company, and to many means he should be considered one of the NFL's greatest players. That story's coming up. Right. We begin this hour, though, with the conflict between Israel and Hamas. The question looming over the war in Gaza right now is this. What will happen to the southern city of Rafah? More than half of Gaza's population has sought refuge there an estimated one and a half million people. Israel says that in order to defeat Hamas, it needs to bring the war to Rafah. The Biden administration says that would be a disaster. We have been absolutely clear that under the current circumstances in Rafah, a military operation now in that area cannot proceed. That is Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, speaking on NPR on Friday. On Sunday, the White House says Biden reiterated that position in a phone call with Netanyahu. So is this a hairline crack or the beginning of a larger rift between the U.S. and Israel? And how might it reverberate across the region? Well, to answer those questions, I'm joined by Ambassador Dennis Ross. He spent more than a decade as the Mideast Special Envoy for both the George H.W. Bush administration and the Clinton administration. Ambassador, welcome back to All Things Considered. Good to be with you. Thank you. So start right with this current moment. We have President Biden warning Prime Minister Netanyahu, do not invade Rafah. That would be a disaster. We have Netanyahu saying Hamas cannot be destroyed unless they invade Rafah. Do you see any middle ground between those two positions? Well, I do see a middle ground. I think the prime minister is probably right that you can't succeed in demilitarizing Gaza and, in effect, uh, demilitarizing Hamas uh, unless, in fact, you're able to deal with Rafah, both from the standpoint that there are probably four battalions of Hamas uh, fighters there on the one hand, but also that border of Egypt and Jordan, uh, sorry, Egypt and Gaza mm-hmm. has been kind of a sieve. So you really need to you need to be there to prevent that or at least work out something between Egypt and Israel. So but I think, then again, this million and a half people who are there who have been told to go there because they'll be safe. I was going to say there's sort of two ways that you bridge these differences. The first way is that the people who are there are going to have to be evacuated, but you can't simply evacuate them unless you have someplace else for them to go within Gaza, and that someplace else for them to go within Gaza also has to be able to receive them, meaning you have to have humanitarian assistance that can go to them. You have to create shelter for them. So if, in fact, the Israelis are going to go to Rafah, into Rafah, to deal with that military dimension of of Hamas, 
they have to come up with a plan that is workable uh, for evacuating people, and there has to be some place in Gaza for them to go. The ground has to be prepared from a humanitarian standpoint to be able to absorb them. The second area where you have to work something out is between Egypt and Israel, because sure. Egypt made it very clear it's not in favor of Israel doing this unless this is understood between the two of them. Ambassador, setting aside the specifics of how they may or may not work that out, to the question of the U.S.-Israel relationship and these increasingly stern warnings we are hearing from the Biden administration, I, I pose the question, is, is this a hairline crack in the relationship or a deeper rift? What do you think? Well, I don't think it's fundamental to the relationship, but I do think it relates to the relationship between the president and the prime minister. Uh, look, you have President Biden, who is the only American president who ever went to Israel during a war, who immediately comes to the defense of Israel in international forum, mm-hmm. who has taken on some you know, political water here for doing what he's done, stood up in many respects to a lot of international pressure to stand by Israel. So I think he feels that he has really put himself and uh, himself on the line. I think he's built a lot of political credit in Israel. And I think what he's seeking is a little bit more responsiveness from Prime Minister Netanyahu to the things that he's asking. Right. And that was widely seen as part of the initial calculation that the U.S. would not sternly lecture Israel in any way in the hopes of being able to privately wield some influence behind the scenes. Has that worked? What leverage does the U.S. have here? Well, I think to some extent it has worked because there's, I think it needs to be understood Within Israel, because the hostages have been held, because of the trauma of October 7th, because there's been no access for the Red Cross to the hostages, there is a powerful sentiment, not just in the right wing, but across the whole body politic, that Israel shouldn't be providing humanitarian assistance at all until, in fact, the hostages are released or at least access is given uh, to the hostages. That hasn't happened, and yet because of uh, the president, Israel did create humanitarian quarters. It has allowed humanitarian assistance to go in. Given the politics in Israel right now, you wouldn't have seen that at all had it not been for the pressure from the United States and from President Biden. So it has worked. Obviously, it hasn't worked well enough, but I think to to somehow argue that it hasn't worked at all is to ignore what the realities are. We have about a minute left. Let's apply everything you've just said again back to this current moment. If Israel does go ahead and send ground forces in in a major invasion of Rafah, as they have said they will do, Israel is threatening to suspend its peace treaty signed back in 1979. Should the Biden administration continue to stand as strongly as it has with Israel? Well, I think it can stand strongly with Israel by making itself very clear and that Israel shouldn't do this. I would be very surprised if Israel will go ahead and do this without an evacuation plan. And here I think the U.S. can work closely with them to help make that evacuation plan workable from a humanitarian standpoint. Okay. We have been speaking with Ambassador Dennis Ross, who spent more than a decade as the U.S. envoy to the Middle East for both President George H.W. Bush and President Clinton. He's now a distinguished fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Ambassador, thanks as always. Pleasure. Thank you. The Kansas City Chiefs and quarterback Patrick Mahomes are Super Bowl champions again after defeating the San Francisco 49ers. This time, it took overtime. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! He is the best. He is the standard. Your Michael Jordan wins it again. That call was courtesy of CBS Sports.
The 25-22 victory in Las Vegas last night gives Mahomes and the Chiefs a third Super Bowl victory in the past five seasons. And last night's gutsy win has the sports world using the D word in association with the Chiefs. And that word is dynasty. Nate Taylor is a staff writer for The Athletic. He was in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl, and he joins us now from the airport. Nate, welcome. Hello, hello, how are you? I am well. So, Nate, I want to take a big step back here. You and I are both from Kansas City, so we have lived through the good years and the not-so-good years of this Chiefs (laughs) team. I mean, can you even believe that we are having this conversation and talking about the Kansas City Chiefs as an NFL dynasty? It's utterly flabbergasting, honestly. Um, It's also hard to believe, too, that the Chiefs have the what I would consider the best athlete in American sports who's obviously a global international icon now in Patrick Mahomes. But no, I don't think anybody could have predicted this. And for Chiefs fans who had to wait 50 years for a Super Bowl victory, now they've had three in the last five years. Let's talk about last night's game. What do you think it was that tilted the game in the Chiefs' favor? A couple things. I think the Chiefs' defense found the right times when to blitz Brock Purdy, and those blitzes sped him up and led to incompletions. And then on offense, um, Mahomes used all of his teammates to move the ball down the field. Uh, In the overtime game-winning drive, he completed eight passes, five of which to different teammates. And he also used his legs to move the ball down the field as well. And then Andy Reid, you know, future Hall of Fame coach known for offensive innovations, makes his best call for the last play of the season. And Mahomes, of course, doesn't miss the opportunity to connect for a touchdown. So it's not just Mahomes, but it's all the people around him sort of elevating their play as well, and that's why the Chiefs are champions once again. I want to talk about quarterback Patrick Mahomes for a moment. I mean, no Super Bowl was the same, but for many viewers, it might have felt like we were watching one of the other Super Bowls the Chiefs has won. We saw Patrick Mahomes yet again leading the Chiefs to victory. Just quickly, what is it about him? How is he cementing his status as one of the all-time great quarterbacks? He's cementing his legacy right now just because he is – becoming sort of this merge between Joe Montana, you know, the first real iconic quarterback in NFL history and the brilliance of Tom Brady, who obviously has seven Super Bowl rings. I guess Mahomes is now in full on chase mode you with think? Tom Brady, but I, I do. Um just because Mahomes is the most complete player to ever play the hardest position in American sports, which is quarterback. He can use his legs if necessary. He has elite accuracy, and rare arm strength. Um, I think what we are now seeing is that he is mentally as sharp as he'll perhaps maybe ever be. If not, he'll continue to improve mentally. But he knows what the defense is trying to do, and he knows how to counteract it or to outwit you know, the other team. Uh, I do believe what we're watching now is the most complete quarterback we've ever seen in NFL history, and that even includes Joe Montana and Tom Brady. So, Nate, I want to bring this conversation back to where we started it and talk about the idea of a Chiefs dynasty. When teams in the past have won three championships, they've been elevated to that status. I'm thinking about the Chicago Bulls, the New York Yankees, the Patriots. Is this Chiefs team, can we put them up there with all those others? Uh, It's fascinating, right? Um, Mahomes is not going to get worse. (laughs) You know, Andy Reid confirmed after the game last night that he is going to be Uh, the coach of the Chiefs in 2024, even though he's, you know, right now, you know, the oldest coach in the NFL uh, at 65. So um, because Travis Kelsey still exists and is still obviously playing at a high level when necessary, and they have all these young, talented players on defense, there's a chance that they can do something that 
uh, the NFL has really never seen before, which is winning three Super Bowls in a row in the modern era. Right now, the best team is the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. That's Nate Taylor, staff writer for The Athletic. Nate, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Don Foot Contracting, an integrated design building company committed to managing your entire home renovation project. At House or Donfoot.com, beauty on time. And Road Scholar, creating educational travel adventures for adults around the world. Learn more at roadscholar.org slash learning. This is WBUR. Sure was nice today. Sure won't be tomorrow unless you like a good snowstorm. Rain should start before daybreak tomorrow, then flip over to snow. Could amount to one to two inches an hour for some periods between eight in the morning and two in the afternoon. Good to stay off the roads around that time. The storm should blow out by six tomorrow night. We could be left with anywhere from eight to 12 inches of snow around Boston, five to eight on the Cape, but those amounts could change. This is WBUR, 47 degrees now at 425. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Xfinity Internet with the Xfinity 10G network. So everyone at home can be online even at peak hours. Xfinity from Comcast. The future starts now. And the Harvard Art Museums with over 50 galleries of art spanning the centuries. Free admission every day. Open Tuesday through Sunday. HarvardArtMuseums.org. I'm managing producer for local news, Jeff Cohen. I was a newspaper reporter back in early 2002, and I had an interview with a neighborhood group. She was the group's community organizer. A coworker remembers the moment I stopped paying attention to the story and started only paying attention to her. When we were done, she gave me a folder full of stuff to read. A few nights later, we met at a bar so I could give it back. I hadn't eaten dinner, and she offered to cook me Swiss chard. And that was it. Her name is Izzy. From that interview came four cats, one dog, two kids, a house, and more than 20 years of awesome. I even have the handwritten note she jotted down when she took my first message. And it reminds me of this. Everything good starts with a story. Now it's my job to help stories come to life at WBUR. When you send your Valentine flowers, send them through us. You'll fund the great work this newsroom does. And who knows, you might just help a new reporter find love. Choose the perfect gift at WBUR.org. That is so wonderful, Jay Clayton. I have not heard that. And when, you know, it's one of your bosses who's saying a story like that, it's especially (laughs) touching, I have to say. So we are here just for a very short period just to remind you that you can get your Valentine, some beautiful flowers for Valentine's Day on Wednesday, even though it's going to snow like heck tomorrow, uh, because you have a chance now to order at 1-800-909. 9287 or go online at WBUR.org. Order the flowers, support WBUR at the same time. We can assure you that some good things will come of this. One thing, you're going to feel great knowing that you're making somebody happy, putting a smile on their face with your gift. They will certainly appreciate it. Winston Flowers are not only the best in Boston, they're among the best across the whole country. So you're really sending a very thoughtful and high quality gift. And then on top of all that, 
you're sending support our our way here at WBUR to bring you all the journalism that you count on. So, so much good happens, but you've got only until 8 o'clock to be able to take part in this. You get your order to us by 8 o'clock tonight. Choose the perfect gift at our website, WBUR.org. It will be delivered on Wednesday on Valentine's Day. The storm, uh, as you might have heard Lisa say a minute ago, should be out of here around 6 o'clock tomorrow night. So no problem delivering Wednesday. But we do need your order now to get it done. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Some really beautiful offerings. You can get a dozen long stem red roses, two dozen. I think, Jay Clayton, you were saying that these are like like three feet long. The yeah, the box. I things. actually measured the box over the weekend because, you know, we <laughs> want to fact check these things. That's right. It's exactly three feet long. Was it really? Yep. Oh, your estimate was absolutely spot on. And we have a beautiful bouquet. This is part of our Flower of the Month Club and, uh, and the gorgeous uh, uh, romantic arrangement in front of us full of orchids and ranunculus and, and roses and uh, hydrangea and just really beautiful, beautiful uh, bouquets. So look and see for yourself online at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. The flowers will be delivered on Valentine's Day Wednesday. The storm is moving out of here tomorrow night, as you've heard. And uh, what a great thing right now to make your Valentine very happy and you don't have to have it on your mind after you make the call. No, and you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to find the right gift or, you know, running around or anything like that. This is just such a low stress thing to do and such a good feeling to do it. Just call us at 1-800-909-9287 or better yet, if you can, go to WBUR.org so you can see for yourself these beautiful Winston flowers. When you see them, I think you'll understand why tens of thousands of listeners have participated in this way of supporting WBUR this year and in earlier years. And now you've got a chance to join them. But that chance ends at 8 o'clock. We have to stop taking orders at 8 o'clock tonight for delivery on Valentine's Day on Wednesday. So this is the last uh, day of uh, people can order. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so this is it then. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road or the your your finger meets the The shovel meets the snow, any, <laughs> any way you want to talk about it. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. As Jay said, you're doing a great thing for someone that you like or that you love and also doing a wonderful thing for WBUR because part of your contribution is coming to this station. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much. WBUR supporters include Boston's How Do You See the World experience with the Maparium Globe. Visit and explore stories about global progress. Tickets at HowDoYouSeeTheWorld.com. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. A fast-moving winter storm is expected to hit the northeast U.S. tomorrow, dropping as much as six inches of snow before moving north. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu says her city is likely to get much more. The best projections right now estimate that we will likely get between 8 and 12 inches of snow total, that it will come down pretty heavily during the morning commute starting earlier in the morning and potentially continuing all the way through the afternoon tomorrow. The public schools in Boston will be closed and non-essential state employees are being told to stay home. Israeli special forces rescued two hostages from the city of Rafah early today on the southern edge of the Gaza Strip. 
Hospital officials say at least 60 Palestinians were killed in airstrikes during the operation. The city is crowded with refugees who fled the war from other parts of Gaza. An international law enforcement team has shut down a major cybercrime operation. The criminals were selling malware that would allow hackers to break into victims' computers and steal sensitive information. NPR's Jenna McLaughlin has more. An international team of law enforcement officials is announcing the disruption of a major cybercrime operation, as well as the arrests of multiple individuals involved in Malta and Nigeria. The team includes FBI offices in Atlanta and Boston, Europol, as well as officials from Australia, Canada, the Netherlands, and other countries. The cybercriminals were selling malware, specifically what's called a remote access trojan. That type of malicious code would allow hackers to break into victims' networks and secretly browse their files, record their keystrokes, steal data, and even watch victims on their webcams. Law enforcement officials seized internet domains controlling the malware and arrested two individuals who they say had been selling the malware and communicating with customers about it. Jenna McLaughlin, NPR News. This is NPR News in Washington. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins. A winter storm warning goes into effect tomorrow morning for nearly all of eastern and central Massachusetts. The snowstorm is expected to arrive before sunrise tomorrow and be done by sunset. It could leave up to eight inches of snow, a little bit less on Cape Cod. could be a heavy, wet snow, meaning it could knock out power. Eversource spokesperson Priscilla Ress says crews are being brought in and positioned for the storm ahead of time. All of our own crews are ready to go as soon as the storm hits. And then, of course, they are scheduled in such a way that we can keep that effort going um, as long as that storm is impacting us. Communities on the South Shore will get plenty of snow, could also face some flooding. Quincy Mayor Thomas Koch says he's not taking any chances tomorrow. We are going to have all hands on deck. We'll have every piece of equipment in. We'll also have all the private contractors uh, that we work with, all of them in with full complements. Uh, we'll have extra police on. We'll be deploying extra fire apparatus to our peninsulas. Quincy has not yet decided on school for tomorrow. Classes, though, are already canceled in a number of communities, including Boston, Wakefield, and Natick. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu says the city is opening an overflow shelter for migrants. The site is at an existing daytime or engagement center near the south end that provides basic resources, medical care, and recovery services for people struggling with homelessness and substance use. Wu says that about a quarter of the beds at the city-run shelters and others run by organizations such as the Pine Street Inn are now taken by newly arrived migrants. The shelters have been operating at expanded capacity already for a number of weeks uh, with people sleeping on cots and sometimes having to put out mats when it is getting to overflow. And so we're opening up the engagement center just for overnight overflow for up to um, 30 individuals who need it. Mayor Wu emphasized that no one has been turned away from a shelter. She expects the overflow site to remain open for about a month through the end of winter. Gasoline prices in Massachusetts are ticking up. According to AAA, the average gas price in the state is $3.16 a gallon. That's up two cents in the past week. It's still, though, three cents lower than the national average. The forecast is coming up. WBUR supporters include Cityside Subaru, with a large inventory of new and pre-owned Subarus, celebrating Washington's birthday all month, on Route 60 in Belmont and citysidesubaru.com. Got a one-day storm coming in, moving in tomorrow before dawn, starting up with rain, and then plumping up to snow by 8 in the morning, should be done by 4 to 6 in the afternoon. We're going to have somewhere around 
Possibly anywhere between 6 to 12 inches of snow around Greater Boston, a little bit less on Cape Cod. We're getting an update from Danielle Noyes live in just about 6 to 10 minutes here at 90.9 WBUR. It's 435. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Kauffman Foundation, providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kaufman.org. And from the Walton Family Foundation, working to create access to opportunity for people and communities by tackling tough social and environmental problems. More information is at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. This is NPR. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump, along with special counsel Jack Smith, are in Florida today for two days of closed-door hearings. The hearings are part of the criminal case in which Trump is charged with withholding and concealing classified and top-secret documents at his Palm Beach Club and residence, Mar-a-Lago. NPR's Greg Allen is following the case and joins us from Miami. Hi, Greg. Hi, Juana. So, Greg, what can you tell us about what happened at today's hearing? Well, you know, they were closed, as you say, um, but we know that U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon met first with Trump's lawyers to discuss what classified and top-secret information that they feel they need to use in court to defend their client. And then in the afternoon, prosecutors were the ones who went in and met with Judge Cannon to present their viewpoint. In cases like this one that involve national security, the Justice Department typically seeks to prevent or at least limit disclosure of classified information. Uh, Both those sessions were closed to the media and public, of course. An additional hearing could happen tomorrow. Uh, Donald Trump was there for the closed session today, and he left the courthouse without making any comments. This notably was the first time he attended any of these proceedings in uh, Fort Pierce. Greg, do you have a sense of why former president's lawyers want to use information from the classified documents in court? It's hard to say because so many of the motions related to this, the classified material are sealed. But former federal prosecutor Barbara McQuaid said there are a few possible reasons why Trump lawyers may want to include it. One strategy might be to say everybody already knows that, Uh, you know, perhaps it relates to a plan to withdraw from Afghanistan. Well, we already withdrew from Afghanistan. And so there was nothing about this document that would harm the national security of the United States if it were disclosed. Defense lawyers also sometimes seek to convince the court that they need information that they know the government doesn't want to provide, and that can force prosecutors to drop counts or agree to plea deals on lesser charges. Legal experts say typically judges will thread the needle, providing enough material to ensure a fair trial, but redacting it, withholding names or information that might be damaging to national security. But in the meantime, all this slows down the the proceedings, which is in Trump's favor, with legal observers now saying it looks unlikely this will all go to trial before the November election. And Trump's lawyer submitted a new filing over the weekend and compared his case to the investigation into President Biden's retention of classified documents. And a special counsel said last week that he's not recommending any charges in the Biden case. Does that help former President Trump's defense? Well, his lawyer certainly thinks so. They've submitted briefs in which they reference the Biden investigation. They call Trump's case a selective and vindictive prosecution brought for political reasons. It's not clear yet whether the judge will allow them to make that case to a jury at trial. Former federal prosecutor David Weinstein says it's a side argument that ultimately he thinks the judge will exclude from the trial. He thinks the comparison with the Biden case is not valid. One of the biggest differences is the cooperation that was provided by the current president and the lack of cooperation provided by the 
former president and the steps that he and others undertook to obstruct the investigation. You know, if Trump had cooperated with the National Archives and not blocked efforts to retrieve the classified material for a year and a half, Weinstein says this prosecution wouldn't have been necessary. Trump appointed Judge Cannon to the bench and has been criticized for rulings that many believe are overly deferential to him. Have prosecutors suggested they might seek to have her removed from the case? There have been calls for that, but no sign of that yet from prosecutors. Uh, Last week, Judge Cannon surprised a lot of people when she gave Trump's lawyers permission to unseal non-classified but sensitive information that up to now hadn't been made public. She said Trump's lawyers could file briefs that would mention by name some of the people interviewed by prosecutors. The special counsel then asked Judge Cannon to reconsider her ruling, saying that revealing the names of potential witnesses would expose them to quote, significant and immediate risks of threats, intimidation, and harassment. And, you know, that's already happened. The special counsel says threats have been made against a potential witness in the case, and there's an ongoing investigation. So uh, there could be a possible appeal, if depending what happens with with that decision. That's NPR's Greg Allen in Miami. Thank you. You're welcome. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. We've got a snowstorm on the way. A winter warning goes into effect in a little more than eight hours. We know that. What we don't know is how much the snow will accumulate because the storm may be changing its path. Here with the latest is WBUR's meteorologist, Danielle Noyes. Hi, Danielle. Hey, Lisa. So um, how tricky is this storm to right now follow (laughs) and figure out? Well, I will say this, Lisa, um, I will probably be losing a little bit of sleep tonight. It's, it's a bit of a stressful storm. And I only mention that because, I mean, we went from record highs over the weekend to this nor'easter coming in. There's got to be a transition in between and a matter of, you know, a couple hours difference and a degree or two will make a big difference in this storm. So uh, the latest track is a little farther offshore, slightly farther to the south. So that means the higher snow totals have also shifted south. So that puts, you know, let's say an eight to 12 inch event actually down through the south shore, where in and around the Boston area, maybe more like, you know, three to five or three to six, and then less amounts north and west of Boston. So that's a considerable change. And now there's still some wiggle room, but um, that is the latest trend for sure this afternoon. Okay, and so who would be getting the eight to 12 inches? I think it's mainly south of town, um, places, you know, through the South Shore, Brockton, Plymouth, Bristol County, maybe Norfolk County as well. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, an eight, widespread eight to 12 seems like the best bet right now. So for Boston, it may be, you know, a three to six inch event. I think the Cape and the Islands, it's more like three to six too, except closer to the canal. We could end up closer to that eight inch mark. And then north and west of Boston, which is typically, Lisa, you know, has been the jackpot zone this winter, is more on the order of about one to three inches or two to four, I would say. Wow, what a big break for them. Uh, And in terms of the the time that the storm is going to hit hardest wherever it's hitting? So I do think that that hasn't changed very much, which is that it moves in pre-dawn, probably like 4 to 6 a.m., ramps up over the morning. So the height of the storm is probably like 9 a.m. until 2 p.m., and then it wraps up after that. So that's when the worst conditions will be on the roads, especially along and south of the pike and where we could see some near zero visibility at times and the snow piling up quickly where the heaviest band set up, we could see one to two inch per hour snowfall rates for that brief window. Okay, so you're thinking for that mostly south of Boston. Yes. Okay, and so for those who are commuting generally in greater Boston uh, for the morning and then for Mm. the afternoon, if there's some kind of trepidation about getting out on the roads, what do you say? Uh, I would say, you know, with 
the biggest thing I think, the biggest takeaway is probably to tune in tonight and tomorrow morning because any slight shift, at least at 20 miles, right, will make a big difference in between, you know, three to five inches or less than that or slightly more. I do still think it's a day to kind of hunger down if you can. Um, and if you are headed in, head in early and then maybe stay a little bit later because things will be wrapping up later in the day. So a kind of avoid that height of the storm through the late morning and afternoon would be the best bet. Wind is going to get gusty at the coast too and coastal residents. This is kind of your classic nor'easter where we get some coastal flooding tomorrow as well. And what about temperatures? Is this going to be kind of a wet, soppy snow, light and dry or what? It's going to be fluffier north and west of Boston, but again, totals will be less in those areas. So it will be a wetter consistency because the temperature will actually be in the mid-30s to start and then fall through the course of the afternoon, probably to at or below freezing by midday and then actually dropping into the 20s. So it may start out pretty wet and you know kind of cement-like and then end up a little fluffier towards the tail end. Either way, it will make cleanup a little bit difficult in terms of, you know, shoveling kind of a wetter consistency of the snow, especially when you get down through the South Shore and the Upper Cape. Any idea in terms of power outages? I think it'll be isolated um, and mainly through the South Shore and Cape Cod where it's wet consistency, you know, at the coast where we get a gusty wind. So I don't think this is a widespread power outage event by any means. There'll probably be some pockets of isolated damage and outages through the day tomorrow. And uh, for Wednesday, Valentine's Day? Sun's back out. Oh, really? <laughs> Which will How be nice. nice. Yes. Yeah, but um, it will be chilly. Temperatures will only be in the 30s. In fact, most of the rest of this week will be chilly um, at or below normal temperatures running in the 30s. There may be a couple snow showers on Friday, but right now that doesn't look too significant. So we'll keep you posted on that. So some of the snow anyway could stick around for a while. Yeah, it'll be here for a little bit. We, you know, this time of the year, you know, we're past the you know, worse in terms of the sun angle. So there'll be a bit of melting, even if we're around the freezing mark um, south of town. But it is a colder than average stretch that we have setting up here. Okay, thank you. As always, WBUR's Danielle Noyce. Thanks again. Thanks, Lisa. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Winter Experience, celebrating the evolution of dance with two world premieres. Starts February 22nd, tickets at bostonballet.org. And Feldman Geospatial, presenting live jazz weekly at the Long Live Brewery and Taproom. Learn more at longlivebeerworks.com boston. I'm Tiziana Deering, host of Radio Boston, and I have two kids. My second one is named Jude, named after the patron saint of lost causes. And when I delivered him, it was really a tricky birth, so there were a lot of people in the room for the delivery, which lasted a long time, and I was not particularly stoic. So by the time Jude came, I'm exhausted, everyone in the room is exhausted, the baby comes out, and all of a sudden the whole room breaks into na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, and they're all singing the song, Hey Jude, and I hear the little baby crying in the background under the song, and my husband takes him in his arms, and he walks over to me, and I'm laying there exhausted, the baby's crying, and my husband strokes his head and says, oh, sweet. He's perfect. This Valentine's Day, send the perfect person in your life Winston Flowers and send them through WBUR to fuel powerful storytelling. Choose the perfect gift at WBUR.org. You know, even Jake Layton, when we're not telling the news stories, we're, we're, I have to say people like Tiziana are really good storytellers anyway. Yes. I mean, this is uh, this is just a, a way to tell you that that uh, you can do two things at the same time. Reward the station that has the reporters who 
tell stories like nobody else, and also get your loved ones some flowers, uh, somebody who may be perfect in your life or may be imperfect. I mean, they're just as lovable. So <laughs> right now, go to uh, our website, wbr.org, check out the offerings from Winston Flowers, and call 1-800-909-9287, wbur.org. By the way, you can also order online at wbur.org. Yes, and here's how this is all working out. We have until 8 o'clock tonight to get your order in. You have until 8 o'clock tonight to get your order in. It will be delivered by Winston Flowers on Wednesday, Valentine's Day. They can deliver it just about anywhere in New England. And, you know, you have the beauty of knowing that this storm, whatever it becomes tomorrow, is going to be replaced by these beautiful colors of spring for somebody that you love on Wednesday. And you'll have the good feeling of knowing that you did that. And you also made a contribution to WBUR to help us bring you all the news and information, all the storytelling that you rely on and that, you know, hopefully lifts your spirits at times. Maybe it makes you laugh at times, makes you cry. It makes you feel something. And there isn't a lot in the world and media that does that these days. And WBUR and NPR do. And we're able to do what we do for you, for our community, Thanks to listeners who support us. And this is just a nice way to support the station because you're doing something nice for someone in your life that you care about at the same time. So go to WBUR.org. Take a look at the choices. You can place your order there or call 1-800-909-9287. And remember that we are not fundraising tomorrow or flower raising. We're not asking you for your contribution. So right now, you can take care of two things. You can contribute to WBUR as you're ordering flowers for a Valentine. And uh, you'll have it all wrapped up before Valentine's Day on Wednesday. So please make the call. Go online. Choose from one of four beautiful offerings and um, and decide who you want to give the flowers to. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It's hard to imagine, I think, Lisa, an easier way, a quicker way, a more meaningful way to do something that is really thoughtful, that you know requires, in a sense, just you know a little tiny bit of effort on your part. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call, or if you can... Check out the flowers. You can see them at WBUR.org. And when you do, you'll know why thousands of people do this. And you can join them. WBUR.org. Thanks a lot. The time is 449. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one platform. Learn more at Indeed.com slash NPR. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at AlignProbiotics.com. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. Veteran broadcaster and longtime host of NPR's Morning Edition, Bob Edwards, has died. He was 76 years old. Edwards joined NPR when it was still in its infancy, and he left an indelible mark on its sound. Lynn Neary has this remembrance. First and foremost, there was his voice. Good morning. Representatives from 35 nations meet today in Copenhagen to discuss Eastern Europe. It's Kuwaiti Independence Day, and Allied troops have advanced to the edge of Kuwait City. 
Booby traps are a danger at the scene of yesterday's high school shootings in Colorado. I'm Bob Edwards. It was, says NPR's Susan Stanberg, a voice that became part of a morning routine for millions of Americans. He was Bob Edwards of Morning Edition for 24 and a half years, and his was the voice we woke up to. If you're like me, when you first heard that voice, you might have imagined a figure of great authority, an avuncular newsman dressed in a pinstripe suit. That was not Bob Edwards. He was really casual. I mean, he walked in the door at 2.30 in the morning. You could sort of set your stopwatch to the time Bob would walk in the door, and he was tall and lanky and wore jeans, and I think, if I remember right, was sort of pretty much always in a flannel, untucked flannel shirt. Margaret Lowe, now the CEO of WBUR in Boston, started as a production assistant on Morning Edition. Lowe says Edwards' seeming casualness belied a seriousness about radio, about the news, and especially about the art of writing. Like several of his contemporaries at NPR, he studied writing at American University with former CBS journalist Ed Bliss. I have this total image of Bob sitting in his office on M Street, and it would be dark outside because it would be the middle of the night, and he faced the window overlooking CBS News, and he would be typing on his manual typewriter with these really, really big keys, and they would be go click, 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 and behind them you would hear outside of his office were the AP and Reuters wires. You know, there were just sort of these sounds of the middle of the night and Bob Edwards typing, but he used to say that Ed Bliss sat on his shoulder as he wrote. Lowe says Edwards was the consummate newsman. He was a total news guy and um, I think uh, understood the news deeply. And in some ways, you know, he sort of set the bar for how we approach stories because, you know, he would convey these stories with a kind of simplicity but also with real depth and, and make sure that they somehow resonated. And, you know, that's lasted. Bob started his career at NPR as a newscaster, then hosted All Things Considered with Susan Stamberg. And Stamberg says that at times their styles clashed. We had five good, if rocky, years together until we sort of got one another's rhythm because he was Mr. Cool. He was Mr. Authoritative and straight ahead. I was the New Yorker, you know, with a million ideas and a big laugh but we really adjusted rather well. Stanberg remembers Edwards for his humor, a quality that was often on display in his hundreds of interviews with newsmakers, authors, musicians, and singers like Dolly Parton. Would you ever consider doing something totally out of character? Uh, well, define what you mean completely. You mean to tear down everything, to not wear the wigs, to not wear the makeup, well, to not to, to have the boobs removed or something? Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> uh. No, but I mean, are you talking about the, not the outrageous look? There are only so many sacrifices one should make <laughs> for a joking. role. I mean. One of Edward's longest-running radio relationships was also one of his listeners' favorites, his weekly conversation with sports broadcasting legend Red Barber. Good morning, uh, Colonel Bob. It's uh, the 29th of the month and 29 degrees. <laughs> Where, in there? Right down here. Oh, well, it's not going to get too much warmer than that here. No, we've had our, our winter's cold dip, and uh, uh, nobody got hurt too much. Well, this city's pretty excited, uh, preparing for uh, their team to be in the Super Bowl. You'll be watching? Oh, sure, of course. I'll, I'll, I'll be watching. After all, in the business that I'm in, uh, suppose you asked me next week uh, about some things in the Super Bowl, and I said, well, I'm sorry, Bob, I didn't see it. <laughs> Edwards eventually wrote a book about his radio friendship with Red Barber, the first of three books he authored, including a memoir, A Voice in the Box. 
Edwards left NPR after the company decided to remove him as host of Morning Edition. Though his many fans protested mightily, Edwards closed out his last show on April 30, 2004, ending just as he had started, by interviewing one of his radio heroes, Charles Osgood. Do you know why we're talking here? Uh, it's not I just th- your I book. <laughs> you were the first person I interviewed for Morning Edition, and I wanted you to be the last. My goodness, how how many years ago was it we did the first one, Bob? Twenty-four and a half. My goodness. Well, time does fly, doesn't it? You're the Alpha and Omega. Edwards went on to host his own interview show at Sirius XM Radio and continued to be heard on many public radio stations on Bob Edwards' weekend. But Margaret Lowe says his contribution to NPR will never be forgotten. He sort of set the tone and the bar for all of us. He understood the power and the intimacy of our medium and captured the attention of millions and millions of people who are still with us today. Lynn Neary, NPR News, Washington. This is 90.9 WBUR Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins in the studio with Jay Clayton. And Jay, you and I both remember Bob Edwards very fondly. All those Friday conversations and so, so much more. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. He was such a um, such a formidable character at NPR, and um, as uh, as Margaret and Lynn and Susan said, they are just uh, for everybody who listens to National Public Radio, who listened to Morning Edition. He actually started on All Things Considered, and um, it's just really great to hear his voice. There are so many people I think listening who don't know who Bob Edwards was. Um, he was there at the very beginning, or at least pretty much toward the beginning, and helped, as Margaret said, set the standard for everything to follow. So uh, we owe him a great uh, debt of gratitude. And um, we're hoping that right now, uh, in in honor of Bob and the continuation of the standard that he set, you will appreciate WBUR by heeding our call and please making a contribution at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And even better, getting some beautiful Winston flowers at the same time. Yeah, and Lisa, I'll, I'll just say this too. You know, one of the things that's nice about hearing stories and remembrances like that on on NPR is when you actually have had some personal contact with somebody, you know, like everything that, that is coming through is spot on. And having, you know, worked with Bob a couple of times, not many, but a couple of times, I can tell you everything rang true. You know, yeah. you just get a real sense of who somebody is there. And you get that with, you know, not just Bob Edwards, but day after day here on WBUR and NPR, you get something that's real. You get something that's meaningful. And when you send your flowers to someone who is meaningful to you, you're also supporting something that is meaningful to you. And that is WBUR and NPR, because this is how this partnership that we have with Winston Flowers Works. You know, you send your flowers through us and it becomes a contribution to us and we appreciate that. You have until just 8 o'clock tonight to order your flowers. You can do that at WBUR.org. You can also call us at 1-800-909-9287. And with that order, you know, you will be helping us bring you more to carry this tradition forward here at WBUR and NPR. I was just funny. I was just thinking of Bob again and reminding myself that a couple of times I called him about whatever news issue, something that was going on. And he was so generous to all the people who worked in the local stations. He worked at NPR 
And for those of us anywhere from San Francisco to Boston to Dallas to Detroit, um, he always took time out. And that's it sort of harkens back to what a family, uh, WBUR, NPR, have. And we know that you feel, we hope you feel like you're a part of that family as well. And that's why we're hoping that you will make a donation to WBUR and, as Jay said, get these flowers at the same time because you're your uh, flower donation comes to us as well in the way in uh, as a contribution. So the number once again is 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And Jay, these will be delivered on Valentine's Day? They will be delivered on Wednesday on Valentine's Day. But again, to make that happen, we need your order by 8 o'clock this evening. It's just very little time left for you to take part in this, and we hope you will. You know, think about the people, the person, or the many people in your life who would appreciate this gift from you, and it will be a gift to you as well because you'll be supporting this station that you listen to. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call, or see the flowers for yourself and choose the ones you'd like to send at wbur.org. Thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort, offering small ship experiences with a shore excursion included in every port and programs designed for cultural enrichment. Learn more at viking.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of ZQuil Pure Z's gummies, designed with melatonin for occasional sleeplessness to help people fall asleep naturally. Learn more at zquill.com. From Fisher Investments, Fisher's dedicated team of specialists provide resources on investing, retirement income, estate planning, and more. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. And from ECMC Foundation at ecmcfoundation.org. I'm WBUR arts and culture reporter Cristela Guerra, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. Former President Donald Trump was in Fort Pierce, Florida today for a court hearing. NPR's Greg Allen reports the hearing was related to charges he withheld and concealed classified and top-secret documents at his Palm Beach Club Mar-a-Lago. In a hearing close to the public and the media, Trump met with his lawyers and a U.S. district judge he appointed to the bench, Eileen Cannon. He left the courthouse without making any comments. In the meeting, Trump's lawyers discussed what classified information they feel they need to use in court to defend their client. Trump faces 40 charges for withholding and hiding from investigators classified documents he took when he left the White House. Prosecutors met separately with Judge Cannon. In cases like this one that involve national security, the government typically seeks to prevent or at least limit the disclosure of classified information. Trump's criminal trial was slated to begin in May. These hearings and other pretrial proceedings are expected to push back the start date. Greg Allen, NPR News, Miami. Houston police say a woman who opened fire in a suburban megachurch Sunday used an AR-style semi-automatic rifle with a sticker that said Palestine on the weapon's stock. Two off-duty police officers working security at the church shot and killed the shooter, identified as 36-year-old Genesee Moreno of Conroe, Texas. A 7-year-old boy believed that the shooter's son and a 57-year-old man were wounded in the incident at celebrity pastor Joel Olstein's Lakewood Church. John Whitmer is the Houston mayor. We're increasing security, won't discuss publicly all provisions, but we're going to continue 
to make public safety a highest priority. Police did find anti-Semitic writings at the shooter's home, but say it's too early to discern a clear motive. The boy remains hospitalized in critical condition. The other victim was released from the hospital. A signature NPR voice has been stilled. Bob Edwards hosted Morning Edition for more than a generation. Bob died Saturday after battling cancer and heart problems. He was 76 years old. NPR's David Folkenflick has this remembrance. Bob Edwards was a native of Louisville, Kentucky. He once said his voice had been cured by cigarettes and bourbon. And oh, it was so silky smooth. The House Judiciary Committee has voted to hear testimony for its impeachment hearings behind... After stints in local radio and in the U.S. Army, Edwards headed to Washington, D.C. In 1974, he joined NPR. He hosted All Things Considered with Susan Stamberg, and then he became the first defining host of Morning Edition, known for gentle pacing, subtle wit, and clear-eyed journalistic instinct. Just shy of his 25th anniversary on the show, NPR decided to bring in two co-hosts to replace him. Edwards left for XM Satellite Radio. Edwards is survived by his wife, the NPR newscast anchor Windsor Johnston, as well as by his two daughters by a previous marriage. David Folkenflik, NPR News. And on a personal note, Bob was one of the first people I met when I came to NPR 26 years ago. He announced the birth of my daughter on the air. You're listening to NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins. A winter storm warning will go into effect at 1 in the morning for just about the entire region, Worcester and points east. It's going to bring us snow for nearly the entire day tomorrow. But as WBUR's meteorologist Danielle Noy says, a change in how the storm is moving should mean less snow than what was forecast earlier today. The latest track is a little farther offshore, slightly farther to the south. So that means the higher snow totals have also shifted south. So that puts, you know, let's say an 8 to 12 inch event actually down through the south shore, where in and around the Boston area, maybe more like, you know, 3 to 5 or 3 to 6, and then less amounts north and west of Boston. So that's a considerable change. And now there's still some wiggle room, but um, that is the latest trend. It is expected to be a heavy and wet snow, and that could lead to a mess on the roads. State Highway Administrator Jonathan Gulliver says it's best not to drive tomorrow if you don't have to. We urge that road users who do need to be out use extreme caution. And, and this is the kind of weather that really you should be considering your travel plans for tomorrow, and you should be limiting your discretionary trips and work remotely if you are able to do so. The T is expected to operate normally tomorrow, although buses will replace trolleys on the Mattapan line. A number of school districts have already canceled school for tomorrow. The list includes Boston, Arlington, and Dedham. A Suffolk Superior Court judge has dismissed a lawsuit against Harvard University for allegedly mishandling donated bodies at its medical school. The suit was filed by families of those who donated the bodies. Last June, the manager at the school's morgue was arrested and accused of stealing and selling body parts. Lawyers for Harvard say they were unaware of the alleged crimes and claim the school was immune from liability. The family's lawyers say they are disappointed and will appeal today's ruling. The pending snowstorm is forcing the delay of the special election in Milton. It's now set for Wednesday. The election is on whether to accept a multifamily housing plan required by communities that have MBTA service. Communities that fail to comply with the state law will not be eligible for some state grants. The proposal that has been delayed until Wednesday will make it easier to build apartments and condos along the Mattapan trolley line. And Boston University and Northeastern are playing for all the beans tonight at the Garden. It's the final of the men's beanpot hockey tournament. BU goalie uh, Machu Caron says that he and his Terrier teammates are in it to win. We're all feeling good, so just going to enjoy the moment and uh, enjoy the process of it all. So, um... Winning, winning's on all our mind, and uh, 
we're we're confident that that we have the ability to do so. The Huskies are the defending champs. They've won four of the fast five bean pots. BU captured the one north the one title Northeastern didn't get in the last five years. Consolation game is being played right now between Harvard and Boston College. It is scoreless after the first period. This is WBUR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Kaufman Foundation, providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kaufman.org. Once again, our top line of the story uh, story today, winter storm warning goes into effect at 1 in the morning. We don't know exactly how much accumulation we should get, <clears throat> but most of it should happen during the day between 9 o'clock and 2 o'clock. Best not to drive during that period. The bulk of the accumulation, somewhere around 8 to 12 inches, could come south of Boston, around the Brockton area. Boston should get about 3 to 6, and a little bit less on the Cape and Islands. 45 degrees now in Boston at 5.07. WBUR supporters include Mass General Brigham Health Plant, offering innovative plans, comprehensive coverage, and a broad network of doctors, all connected to one of the world's leading healthcare systems. Mass General Brigham Health Plant, with you every day. For more information, call your broker or visit MassGeneralBrighamHealthPlan.org. Hello, this is Simon Rios. I'm a reporter here at WBUR, and this is my daughter, Gabby. It was New Year's Eve of 2022, and Gabby showed up unexpectedly to a performance of mine in Boston's South End. On the spot, she agreed to get in front of the mic and sing this beautiful Uruguayan song called Inoportuna. On this Valentine's Day, I want to share this story of love and music with our WBUR family. Whether it's with our voices or with a bouquet of roses from Winston Flowers, this is the time when we can express our love for the people closest to us. And if you do choose flowers this Valentine's Day, consider sending them from WBUR to support our journalism and lift all our voices. Check out the offerings at WBUR.org. We hope you'll do that right now. In fact, because the fundraiser is ending today, the fundraiser is a way for you to give flowers to your loved one for Valentine's Day on Wednesday and to contribute to WBUR at the same time. Um, we thought for a little bit that we were going to be uh, offering uh, the flowers tomorrow, but Jay Clayton, today is the last day. Yes, we uh, pulled the plan back a bit so that we can assure that your Valentine does get your gift on Wednesday, Valentine's Day. And in order to make that happen, uh, Winston Flowers needs your order by 8 o'clock tonight, not tomorrow morning. We won't be able to help you then. We'd love to, but we just won't be able to. So we can help you right now through 8 o'clock tonight. Just go to WBUR.org. Take a look at the four choices. Pick the one that is perfect for you and for the person that you want to send your gift to or gifts if you have multiple people. And with, you know, whatever you choose, you will also be making a contribution to WBUR to, you know, as Simone said, lift all of our voices. WBUR.org or 1-800-909-9287. 
We hope you will make the phone call right now. Go online right now and check out the offerings. Beautiful uh, red and pink roses if you decide to get the flower of the month. Uh, this is I, I heard Rupa say this morning she got this for her mom last time around and she get texts from her gets texts from her mom every now and then saying, oh, the new flowers just arrived. Thank you so much. And um, there are a dozen red roses, two dozen red roses, this beautiful, elegant bouquet um, that um, that is just withstanding days and days in our studio. I don't know how it happens. Well, I do know because Winston makes incredibly beautiful bouquets with the highest quality flowers around. So please make your pledge to WBUR right now and get the flowers to be delivered on Valentine's Day on Wednesday. We're coming up to the news in just a couple of minutes. European leaders are reacting to Donald Trump saying that on a campaign stop that he would not defend NATO countries that he deemed insufficiently paid up in their dues. We keep up with the news so you can keep up with the news. We bring you uh, everything that we think as, as good guardians of uh, high quality and uh, well-attributed news you need to know. And we hope that you appreciate that. We know you do because you listen to us, even during fundraisers. And this one, especially because you have a chance to give somebody that you love some beautiful Winston flowers. Some of the contribution comes to us as well. So it's a win-win situation. one 800 909 9287 or WBUR.org. Many people who have received these flowers have told us, you know, how impressed they are with how long they last. And there's a reason for that. And that reason, quite simply, is because these are very fresh flowers. Chances are they just arrived here in the Boston area on a flight today or maybe yesterday, but very soon, as opposed to flowers that are often sitting around for a while before you even get them. So, you know, they, these will last a long time. The The meaning of them will last even beyond the flowers themselves. And the impact of your gift here at WBUR will ripple beyond the flowers themselves, too. So, so much good you can do for someone or maybe many someones in your life or a couple or a few someones, just by ordering these flowers, just make sure you get to us before 8 o'clock tonight because we have to stop taking orders then at 8 o'clock this evening. 1-800-909-9287. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Xfinity Internet with the Xfinity 10G network, so everyone at home can be online even at peak hours. Xfinity from Comcast. The future starts now. And Boston Ballet's Winter Experience, celebrating the evolution of dance with two world premieres, starts February 22nd. Tickets at bostonballet.org. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. The stock market keeps setting new records as Wall Street's confidence in the strength of the U.S. economy grows. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But first, former President Trump's comments about NATO and Russia at a campaign rally in South Carolina have sparked outrage across the Atlantic. On Saturday, Trump said he'd encourage Russia to do, quote, whatever the hell they wanted to NATO member states who he says have been delinquent in their defense spending. NPR Berlin correspondent Rob Schmitz joins us now to talk about the reaction in Europe. Hey, Rob. Hey, Juana. So we should just start by saying up front here that Trump's comments in which he summarized a conversation with what he called a big European NATO member 
cannot be verified. But regardless, there was quite the reaction in Europe, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Uh, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg was first out of the gate saying that any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines the entire spirit of NATO and global security, including that of the United States. And he added that it also puts American and European troops at an increased risk. European Council President Charles Michel called Trump's remarks reckless, and he said they only serve Putin's interests. And here's what European Union's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell, said to reporters today. NATO cannot be uh, a la carte military alliance, cannot be a military alliance that works depending on the humor of the president of the U.S. on those days. It's not yes, now yes, tomorrow no, it depends who are you now, come on. Let's be serious. Let's be serious, we heard him say. <laughs> that is from a high representative of the EU on Trump's NATO comments. But what about reaction from within Trump's own Republican Party here in the United States? Yeah, GOP lawmakers have mostly fallen under the category of this is Trump being Trump, sort of batting away any notion that his comments should be taken seriously. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina said when Trump was president, nobody invaded anybody and that he was just saying this to get European countries to pay more for their own defense. But some Republicans were not very happy about it. Former Congresswoman Liz Cheney said no sane president would ever encourage Russia to attack NATO allies. And Nikki Haley, who has lost every GOP primary so far to Trump, said while it's important for NATO allies to pull their weight, there are better ways to get that done than to call on Russia to attack them. Let's dig into that sentiment a little bit more here. I mean, there is frustration here in the U.S. about NATO member states in Europe that are not spending more than 2% of their GDP on defense, which is what NATO asks of all of its members. What countries are we talking about here? Well, the most important one is the one I'm joining you from right now, Germany. Uh, this is Europe's biggest economy, and despite that, it still spends less than 2% on its own military. Nearly two years ago, after Russia invaded Ukraine, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced a so-called Zeitenwende, or historical turning point for Germany when it comes to military spending. And he promised much more funding for Germany's armed forces, including meeting the NATO 2% threshold. It's now been two years, and Germany still has not reached that threshold. Last year, it spent around a percent and a half of its GDP on its military, but Germany vows that it will reach the 2% mark this coming year. And Rob, is it possible that former President Trump's comments, no matter how irresponsible some have said that they were, might actually have the result of motivating European countries to spend more? Well, you know, when I talk to politicians here in Germany or in Eastern Europe, everyone asks me these days what the likelihood of another Trump presidency might be. There is a lot of concern about this because many leaders here are genuinely worried about the U.S. commitment to NATO under another Trump presidency. Just today, Poland's new prime minister, Donald Tusk, met with French President Emmanuel Macron, and he'll come to Berlin tomorrow. And this is an effort to strengthen ties and increase military capability. And the possibility of Trump winning in November is motivating many of these talks. So, yeah, I think European leaders are watching all of this very closely with a lot of concern. That's NPR's Berlin correspondent Rob Schmitz. Rob, thank you. Thanks. The Israeli military says that last night it rescued from a house in Rafah, Gaza, two hostages taken by Hamas on October 7th. The military used a series of airstrikes as a diversion, killing more than 60 Palestinians. That is according to health officials in Gaza. And this comes as Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has ordered the army to come up with a plan to evacuate Rafah ahead of a possible ground invasion. NPR's Hadil Al-Shalchi brings us this report. 
The explosions overnight in Rafah had people wondering if the ground invasion had started. It's a very intensive shilling going around me. NPR producer Enes Baba is in the city. My cousin just woke up, just he's screaming. Just let me go. I just want to understand what's happening here. I can see all of the smoke raises. His cousin shouts, has it begun? But this was not the feared Israeli offensive. We now know, according to the Israeli military, that the strikes were part of an operation that freed two hostages. Shirin Zorb was displaced to Rafah. She points to her shell-shocked son. He's being treated for wounds on his arm. What's his fault, she cries. Does he have a weapon? He has no weapon. All these children were asleep. Have mercy on us. Rafah is now a city of 1.4 million displaced people, and they're on edge since Netanyahu called for an evacuation plan. In a crowded market days earlier, vendors call out their wares. In the marketplace is Jihad Abu Amr. He was displaced to Rafah with his family and is worried about what Israel might do next. This operation will be a massacre because the city is so dense, he says. Rafah borders Egypt. It normally has a population of 250,000 people. It's a sad city and a poor city and destroyed, and it's never mentioned on the map except during war, Abu Amr says. Also at the market is Yusuf Asir Sawi. His family was displaced twice, once to Khan Yunus and then to Rafah. He says Israel may force him to move again. Their threats are to be taken seriously, he says. Because of the reality we've lived, it isn't far-fetched that the occupation forces enter Rafah and finish their military operation. Life in the southern city has become increasingly difficult. The UN says the city has produced a year's worth of garbage in the past three months. There's a scarcity of food, clean water, and sanitation that's leading to disease. People in Rafah say if the evacuation becomes a reality, they don't know what to do. Where are we supposed to go, says Ziad Abdallah. Someone answer me that question. The whole world is against us. America and Israel and the Arabs. Where are we supposed to go? Egypt won't take in refugees from Rafah. It's worried that Israel won't let Palestinians back and that it will have a humanitarian crisis on its hands. But Palestinians in Rafah say they just want one thing. We hope this war will end and people will go back to their homes, Abu Amr says. We don't want anything else, and we want this bloodbath to end. With Anas Baba in Rafah, Gaza, I'm Hadil Al-Shalchi, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The stock market has been blasting through record after record. The S&P 500 recently crossed a new threshold, the 5,000 mark, for the first time ever. NPR's David Gura explains what's driving this record-setting run. We're still early in 2024, but the S&P 500 has kept climbing, building on last year when it rose by an eye-popping 24%. The index includes many of the largest and best-known companies in the world. It's happened because U.S. data has been so strong. 
Lee Farage is the head of macro strategy at State Street Global Markets. Inflation is dramatically lower than what it was in June of 2022, when it hit a four-decade high. And last month, the U.S. economy added more than 350,000 jobs. The U.S. economy is is a juggernaut at the moment. Um, If that continues, which I think it will, with that benign inflation backdrop, then there's every reason to think this rally can continue. This is somewhat surprising. A year ago, there weren't many professional investors who anticipated Wall Street would see this kind of rally. Lori Calvacina is the head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. So look, equities have gotten off to a very strong start to the year, which has surprised a lot of people. I'm not going to lie, myself included. There was a lot of concern at the beginning of 2023 about a potential recession. The Federal Reserve was in the middle of raising interest rates very aggressively to slow down the economy. But remarkably, we've continued to see good data, and that's why sentiment has shifted. Now, Wall Street is trying to figure out when policymakers will be comfortable enough to cut interest rates. There was a lot of hope that could happen at their next meeting in March, but Fed Chair Jerome Powell ruled that out at his last news conference. I don't think that's probably not the most likely case or what we would call the base case. That didn't seem to disappoint Wall Street too much, and State Street's Lee Farage says that's because investors recognize the data are pointing in the right direction. They're convinced policymakers are going to begin bringing down interest rates in the not-too-far-off future, even if it is a little bit later than they first anticipated. The start has just been delayed, and that's fine because it's been delayed because of better growth. Wall Street has also gotten a boost from publicly traded companies that are updating investors on their recent performance. Many of them, especially in tech and energy, have done better than expected. Now, there are many things that could upend this rally, including economic turmoil in China and a widening conflict in the Middle East, along with the data in the U.S., according to Farage. I can tell you the one thing that will end this rally and and, and upset this rally is any sign of inflation coming back. But for now, investors are feeling confident about where the economy and markets are heading. David Gura, NPR News, New York. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from BritBox, where viewers can stream new seasons of British detective series, including Vera, Father Brown, Death in Paradise, and more. Available at BritBox.com NPR. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive. Nervive Nerve Relief is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at NerviveHealth.com. And from ECMC Foundation at ECMCFoundation.org. Hi, I'm Chloe Axelson, and I'm the senior editor of WBUR's Ideas and Opinion page. One of my very favorite Cognoscenti essays is by the novelist Holly Robinson. She tells a harrowing story about her husband, Dan, who almost died a few years ago after contracting a mysterious and deadly infection. The experience helped Holly put life's little annoyances in perspective and focus on what really matters, the people you love. There's a line in her essay that stayed with me for years. Pray for boring days, my grandmother used to say. I never really knew what she meant. Now, I think I do. 
These days, boring sounds kind of nice, right? Tell the people who matter most to you that you're thinking about them and support your love of great storytelling by sending a beautiful bouquet of Winston flowers. Visit WBUR.org to choose the perfect gift. We hope you'll do that now because this is the last day of fundraising. We are counting down right now just about uh, two and a half hours before we finish off the fundraiser. And um, it's it's a fundraiser, but it's really a chance for you to be able to support WBUR and get some beautiful flowers from Winston Flowers at the same time to be delivered on Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow appears like it's going to be a really bad day for deliveries. So you have a chance right now to get your Valentine something really gorgeous, get it over with, which is probably a bad way to, to talk about it, but over with tonight. Get that crossed off your checklist and give to WBUR at the same time. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Jay Clayton. It is kind of nice to know, Lisa, right, that you can do something thoughtful and meaningful on a couple different levels, both for the person who is lucky enough to receive this gift from you and for WBUR because your gift becomes a contribution for the programs that you listen to and everything that you get from WBUR on air and beyond. And you can do that all from the comfort of wherever you are. It'll take you only a couple of minutes. Very low stress, very meaningful and thoughtful and simple, really. You know, it's you, you can't really get much better. So go to WBUR.org. Check out the choices. There are four of them. There's a dozen or two dozen long-stemmed red roses there is something called the Ultimate Arrangement, and you can check that out too. Or flowers every month for a whole year, seasonal flowers throughout the year as the seasons change, beginning with roses for Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day. That's the other choice. Check them out. Choose the perfect one at WBUR.org. And again, you just need to make sure you do it by 8 o'clock this evening because we have to stop taking orders then to get them delivered Wednesday on Valentine's Day. Wouldn't it be nice for someone that you love to be able to get some flowers uh, in July from you, blue hydrangea and some wildflowers, or get sunflowers in August, or uh, in May, peonies and lilac and garden roses. Um, it's just it's such a wonderful thing to do. And if you can do it and support WBUR at the same time by ordering your flowers through Winston Flowers through WBUR, we would so appreciate that. Um, 1-800-909-9287 is the phone number. You can see all four offerings at WBUR.org. That's the ultimate arrangement Jay was talking about, the flower of the month, or a dozen red roses or two dozen red roses with three-foot-long stems, and we know that because Jay Clayton actually measured them. Yes, we did. We want to make sure that when we tell you something, we know, right? Yep. 1-800-909-9287 is the number you can call. I'll give you that again, one 800 909-9287-WBUR.org. I encourage you to go to our website and, and do this if you can, because then you can see for yourself, if you've, especially if you've never sent Winston Flowers, you'll know why so many people do. Literally tens of thousands of listeners have participated in this way of helping to fund WBUR and sending something nice to their Valentine. Many of them do it year after year after year. It becomes tradition. Could be a tradition that you begin this year for your Valentine. Just take a look at WBUR.org. Choose the perfect gift there. It'll take you just a couple of minutes. And make sure you do it by 8 o'clock because we have to get your order in by then to get it delivered for Valentine's Day on Wednesday. Thanks so much. It's 530.
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Scrub-A-Dub Car Wash, cleaning cars since 1966 with 22 New England locations. Learn more about Scrub-A-Dub Unlimited at scrubadub.com And showcase cinemas and the Museum of African American History with a screening of Loving and discussion with historian Dr. Carrie Greenwich, showcasecinemas.com. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Noor Rahm. Israeli forces rescued two hostages early today in Gaza, storming an apartment and extracting the captives under fire. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports. Israeli Army spokesman Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari described the complex rescue operation in the heart of Rafah, where he said Israeli forces engaged in heavy fighting with Hamas. Gazan health officials say at least 67 Palestinians were killed in airstrikes surrounding the operation. The rescue is a win for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who has always said pressure on Hamas is the best way to free the hostages. Netanyahu says Israel will send ground troops into Rafah despite the objections of the U.S., the U.N., and Egypt. Aid group Doctors Without Borders warned such a move would be cataclysmic in a place where, quote, hundreds of thousands are trapped in a tiny patch of land with no escape. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Tel Aviv. President Biden said today his administration is negotiating a potential deal between Israel and Hamas. He said key elements of the plan are on the table, but gaps remain. The proposal calls for an immediate and sustained period of calm for at least six weeks. That would allow hostages to be released and for humanitarian aid to flow into Gaza. Biden again said the U.S. supports Israel after the October 7th attacks, but he said that too many of the Palestinians who have been killed have been innocent civilians and children. Bob Edwards has died. He was the founding host of NPR's Morning Edition and held the job for more than a generation. He turned his regular interviews with sportscasting legend Red Barber into a book, Friday with Red, a radio friendship. His last shift at NPR was April 4, 2004. I cannot thank you enough for all the support. I've said many times you're the audience a broadcaster dreams of having. Bob Edwards was 76. This is NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins. A nor'easter is expected to move in overnight tonight, but the amount of snow we're forecast to get is shifting now. The immediate Boston area and Cape Cod are expected to get somewhere between 3 and 6 inches. A little less should fall in Worcester. A band of 8 to 12 inches, the most, is expected on the South Shore and South Coast. Governor Maura Healy is telling non-emergency state employees to work from home tomorrow because of the expected storm. She said this afternoon that's because the storm will pick up in intensity during the morning commute. Dangerous driving conditions with low visibility, snow accumulating quickly, and this will be a heavy and wet snow. We expect high wind gusts with the potential to bring down tree limbs uh, and power lines. The power companies say they're prepared for those winds. Michael Dalo is spokesman for National Grid. He says the utility is bringing in additional crews and have staged them across the state. We can prepare for the forecast and we do that by securing additional crews and personnel, um, putting plans in place. We do have to wait and see what the weather brings, but you know we've been monitoring this for a couple of days, definitely since last week at least, and we're prepared for whatever it might bring. 
A number of school districts have already canceled classes for tomorrow. They include Boston, Worcester, Cambridge, and Somerville. The city of Boston is opening a new overflow shelter for people experiencing homelessness. The shelter will be at an existing site near the south end, designed for people struggling with substance use and homelessness to get basic services. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu says the site can hold 30 people overnight. It'll be open for the next month or so through the end of wintertime. And a Suffolk Superior Court judge ruling has upheld ethics violations against a select board member in the town of Aquina on Martha's Vineyard. Gary Haley was accused of violating conflict of interest laws by selecting himself to do some work for the town. He then billed the community for more than $17,000 and approved the request himself. The court's ruling upholds a state ethics commission decision that included a $10,000 penalty against Haley. The forecast is coming up. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston's How Do You See the World experience with the Maparium Globe. Visit and explore stories about global progress. Tickets at howdoyouseetheworld.com. And the executive Ph.D. program in business at Bentley. Three years part-time for experienced professionals seeking data research skills. Info session on February 21st. Once again, the storm tomorrow begins with rain in the pre-dawn hours, quickly changing over to snow that should last the day. Heftiest part of the storm could be anywhere from 9 to 2 p.m. Driving should be pretty tough around the region at that time. The storm dissipates around sunset. Accumulation is changing now. Looks like the majority of the snow, about 8 to 12 inches, should be around the south coast and south of Boston. In Boston, anywhere from 3 to 6 inches, a little bit less on Cape Cod. 45 degrees now in Boston at 535. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from a single platform. Learn more at Indeed.com NPR. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamusol.com. This is NPR. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly. President Biden is once again having to answer questions about his age following the release of special counsel Robert Hur's report last week. It did clear Biden of criminal action over the handling of classified documents, but in the report, Hur said that Biden comes off as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. That made all kinds of headlines. It led Biden to defend himself at a press conference. So how concerned are voters about his age? Well, we are going to consider that question in the swing state of Wisconsin, where Mayan Silver from member station WUWM in Milwaukee is covering the election. Hey there. Hey. So last time around, Biden beat Trump by just over 20,000 votes there in Wisconsin. Not a huge margin. This year could be close again. Start with conservatives in that state, in your state, how they are handling the, the conversation around age. And I'll point out Trump is only four years younger than Biden. Right. Well, what's not surprising is that there are a lot of conservatives in Wisconsin on Twitter, on right wing talk shows going after Biden for his age. But Mary Louise, what's interesting is that I talked to a number of conservatives who are concerned about Biden's age, but at the same time feel that Trump is unfit for office and don't want him as their party's nominee. Take, for example, John Worth. He's a conservative lawyer from a Milwaukee suburb. Well, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. 
I've been very concerned about Joe Biden and his mental acuity. On the other hand, we can decide to bring back another old man, a fake Republican who's proven to be an immoral, dishonest, power-hungry authoritarian. So it's pretty clear he's not into Trump. Worth said he'd support Nikki Haley if she's the nominee. But if the choices mirror those in 2020, he'll consider voting for Biden or a third-party candidate. Hmm. And then what are you hearing on this whole issue of age, mental acuity, and so on? What are you hearing from Democratic voters who, after all, are the people who Biden will need to mobilize this year? So some Democrats I talked to here say that Hearst's comments about Biden's age were out of line. They know Trump, the GOP frontrunner, can also flub words. But young progressives are taking issue with Biden not because of the president's age, but because of the war in Gaza. Nada Mubarak is a 22-year-old college student in Milwaukee. She voted for Biden in 2020 as a way to prevent four years, another four years under Trump, but that's not her plan this year. I'm not voting for anyone. I'm going to build networks within my community and build relationships within my community, and together we're going to find a solution to whatever's going on. While some on the left may not vote, others are still supporting Biden, even though they're not very excited about it. Daniela Perez is a 32-year-old small business owner in Milwaukee. It's just sad because I feel like there's a lot of people on the same boat of just like, we don't really have a choice. Her biggest concern is not the president's memory. She thinks leaders in Washington just don't grasp the daily struggles of working people. Mm. Just briefly, talk to me about voter turnout, what both parties there are doing to try to get people excited enough to, to head to the polls. Both parties are mobilizing voters all around the state. Democrats really need to drive up turnout and numbers in Milwaukee and Madison, talk up things like Biden's infrastructure plan, and keep abortion rights on the ballot. Republicans are also focusing on Milwaukee. That's where they'll hold their party's national convention this summer. So they'll really have a big platform to connect with voters here. Thank you, Mayan. Thank you. That's Mayan Silver from member station WUWM in Milwaukee. Streets and sidewalks have appeared in a stretch of forest on the Washington coast in recent weeks. They represent the future of the Quinault Indian Nation. The tribe has spent a decade trying to move a village out of reach of rising seas and tsunamis. John Ryan from member station KUOW reports on their progress. I'm sitting on top of a seawall in the village of Tahola, Washington. It's too windy up here for standing. This is where the Pacific Ocean meets the Quinault Indian Reservation. One of the highest tides of the year, called a king tide, is hitting the seawall right now. Big waves are crashing into the seawall and occasionally depositing big driftwood logs on top and even into the backyards of tribal members' houses. Days like today also give a sneak peek of the future as an ever hotter climate causes global sea levels to rise. Leah? Yes. Hi, I'm John. Leah Frenchman lives on the back side of that seawall with her partner and two kids. It is inevitable that my street will be in the ocean at some point. Her home and others in the village of 800 people are perched on cinder blocks. Normally what happens is at high tide in the winters, the waves will come over, my backyard will fill with water, and you'll see the water running under my house out into the street. When big waves hit the seawall, her home shakes. It just vibrates like a little mini earthquake constantly. <laughs> for a few hours. Should a big earthquake hit, most of the village could be inundated by a tsunami. My kids' schools are all, they're all sea level. They're all in the flooding zone. In December, the Quinault government reached a milestone in its long push to provide safe housing for its people. 
Tribal Council member Ryan Hendricks showed me from his pickup truck. You're looking at about nine acres of fresh development with asphalt and sidewalks and lots of open space to start building some houses. The site is on higher ground, about a mile from the lower village. It's a big project for such a small group of people to take on. Incomes on the Quinault Reservation are low, about half the national average. Housing is scarce. Tanya eisen Palak wanted to move back to Tahola after she finished grad school studying ocean policy. I do wish that I could have moved back into the home that I love so much, but I realize that that's not a place that I would feel safe raising a family. Heat trapping pollution has raised the world's oceans by about seven inches over the past century. We're trying to solve a problem that we didn't create. We didn't create carbon emissions to any level of like the outside non-tribal world. The Quinault government has received millions in state and federal funds to relocate the village. It's spent millions of its own revenue from timber and casino operations. Now the tribe needs hundreds of millions more to get homes built in the new neighborhood. It's been a long process. Guy Kapoman is president of the Quinault Indian Nation. We've had to do a lot of convincing to get some of our folks to agree that, you know, it's best to move up on the hill. Tribal members, including Kapoman, have mixed feelings about relocating away from the mouth of the Quinault River, the heart of Quinault culture. Kapoman says he hasn't decided whether he'll move away from the lower village. At my age, I'm 54. The thought of taking on a, a home loan is something that is, you know, it's a big investment. Tanya eisen Palak says there's a generational divide. It's even fueled tense discussions in her own family about what to do with the family home. No, Mom, we shouldn't put $15,000 into this because it's going to be washed away. Leah Frenchman says she's looking forward to moving uphill and saving her family from the rising ocean. Still, she says she'll miss the sounds of the surf and eagles overhead. I hear them whistling all day. My heart just breaks when I think about not being near that anymore. I know it's at the same time not reasonable and not safe, but it's a hard thing to accept. The Biden administration has issued grants to tribes in five states that are looking to move to higher ground. Even for tribes like the Quinault that have safe uphill space available nearby, it takes a lot of time and effort to move a village. For NPR News, I'm John Ryan in Tahola, Washington. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. WBUR supporters include Arts Emerson with the legendary Seven Fingers Troops, U.S. premiere of Dual Reality, February 7th through 18th at the Cutler Majestic, artsemerson.org. This is 90.9 WBUR. Coming up to a story in just a couple of minutes on how Cape Cod communities are having to clean up their water at a high cost. First, taking just this time out to ask you to support WBUR and give flowers to somebody who you love or at least like and have them delivered right on Valentine's Day on Wednesday. You can do it right now, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Jay Clayton. And this partnership that we have with Winston Flowers, they will send a dozen or two dozen long-stemmed red roses 
to that person that you want to remember on Valentine's Day. They will send the ultimate romance arrangement if that's the choice that you make, or they will send flowers. And it flowers. is the ultimate. Yeah, it really we have is. It right it's in spectacular. Front of us. You can see for yourself at, at WBUR.org your four choices. I mentioned those three. The fourth one is flowers every single month for a year throughout the seasons beginning with red roses on Valentine's Day. And you just know that whichever choice you make, we need that information from you by 8 o'clock this evening. We have to stop taking orders this evening in order to get them delivered on Wednesday, which is Valentine's Day. So think about, you know, what you want to do. Make your choice, and it'll be a thoughtful one for the recipient of your gift. It'll be a meaningful one for WBUR, too, because we will benefit from your purchase in some funds to be able to keep bringing you the journalism that you rely on. So a lot of good happens when you make this choice, and it's so easy to do. It takes just a couple of minutes, WBUR.org, or you can call us at 1-800-909-909. Nine two eight seven. One of the good things that comes out of uh, making an order right now and getting your Valentine, some beautiful flowers from Winston Flowers through WPUR. Um, the other thing is is the stories that you hear, the story that you heard about how tribes in Washington State are moving their villages to get them out of the reach of rising seas. We heard a story about. Uh, the stock market and how it's soaring, and some investors don't see a downtime anytime soon. Uh, looking at the the records they've been setting, S and P set a record just last week of hitting five thousand. Um, the start of the Kansas City Chiefs dynasty after last night's Super Bowl win. Just a, a small look at the stories that you're hearing on WBUR just in the last hour, I'd say, of all things considered. You get news and information 24-7 from WBUR. We're asking you to pay for it, but in a different way right now, by making a contribution to WBUR, by ordering flowers through us from Winston Flowers for somebody that you love, and they will be delivered on Valentine's Day. 800-909-9287 is the number. Website is WBUR.org. And, you know, you think about all the, the people who mean something to you. It could be a romantic valentine could be a husband, a wife, or a boyfriend, or girlfriend, or could be, you know, somebody that is uh, just, you know, a meaningful friend to you, a workmate, could even be yourself, right, Lisa? You yeah. Just treat yourself. Oh, you're suggesting I do? I, I'm suggesting anybody. Are you going to give me some? Well, I'm suggesting anybody yeah, treat you're on you the know, spot themselves. Now. Yeah, okay. yeah. So 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. You know, whoever is the lucky person to get these from you will love it. And we would so much appreciate it because it will mean a lot to us. Journalism, as you probably know, has been hit very hard and continues to be politically and economically. On the economic side, you would be making a contribution to WBUR's journalism if you buy your flowers through our partnership with Winston Flowers. So we really do appreciate you considering that. Again, you have it until 8 o'clock this evening, and then we have to stop taking orders to get them out on Wednesday for Valentine's Day. So take a look at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 while I get some flowers for Lisa. <laughs> you heard him. <laughs> thank you so much. Jay, thank you. Yeah. WBUR supporters include Welch and Forbes, over 180 years of experience providing customized private wealth management for individuals and families. WelchForbes.com.
This is WBUR's All Things Considered. I'm Lisa Mullins. Cape Cod's iconic bays and ponds draw tourists from around the world, but they've suffered from decades of wastewater pollution, mostly coming from people's homes. The state now has tough new regulations that are forcing communities on the Cape to clean up the water. Today, in the first part of a two-part series on the cleanup, WBUR's Barbara Moran takes us to Barnstable for a look at some solutions, and they are pricey. You want to walk down? Um, we can walk down the boat ramp. Pat Allman lives across the street from Shubel Pond in Barnstable. The pond is ringed by trees and today, crystal clear. It's so beautiful. I get up in the morning, I open my drapes, and if the sun is already up, the, the pond is, is glistening. But a couple summers ago, the pond turned green. It was a bloom of toxic algae. And I kayaked around, and it, I was leaving a trail. You could see where the kayak had cut through the slime. Toxic algae can make people sick and is especially dangerous for small children. You feel scared, like what is going on, and that it's never going to clear up and that the pond is dying. Almond's Pond did clear up that fall, but algal blooms are an ongoing problem on the Cape. Even the more common non-toxic growths are destructive, creating low oxygen dead zones that kill fish and native plants. Andrew Gottlieb runs the Association to Preserve Cape Cod, and he says the algae is fed by nitrogen and phosphorus, basically fertilizer, and it's coming from people's septic tanks. We rely on 19th century technology to get rid of our wastewater. You know, we all basically have a hole in the backyard and our wastewater flows into it. This 19th century technology is used by about 85% of Cape Cod properties. Septic systems work fine in rural areas where houses are spread out. That's how the Cape used to be, but now it's built up. And almost all of its saltwater bays and about a third of its freshwater ponds have unacceptable water quality according to the Association to Preserve Cape Cod. We've seen a significant deterioration of our base to the point where we don't have shellfish, we don't have thin fish. Mark Ells is the town manager of Barnstable. So we want to make sure that we put in place solutions that help us to address not only what we know today, but what we're anticipating tomorrow. One way to stop wastewater pollution is to switch from septic tanks to sewage pipes. And that's what they're doing in Barnstable. The town has begun a massive expansion of its sewer system, extending service to 12,000 properties. It'll take 30 years and cost over a billion dollars. And there's another cost, seemingly constant road work and traffic jams. One day last fall, cars crawled along as Superintendent Mike Donovan's crew dug up the main road into Barnstable. Is this going to be like what your company does for like the next three decades? We, well, hopefully, yeah, that's what we do for a living, yes. Yeah. We're installing sewer all over the Cape right now. Pat Ullman's neighborhood by Shubel Pond will get hooked up to the sewer, but not for a couple decades. Ullman says that's too long to keep polluting the water. If we don't start cleaning it up now, you know, you might not even want to walk down by that pond by then. A lot of Ullman's neighbors feel the same way. So instead of waiting decades for sewers, they're getting new, improved septic systems now. And this system is so successful that in the data that we're seeing now, it will remove between 95 and 97 percent of nitrogen going into the groundwater. 
Zenas Crocker is the executive director of the nonprofit Barnstable Clean Water Coalition. These new septic systems are expensive, around $35,000 for a single-family home. Crocker's group has installed more than a dozen systems in Almond's neighborhood and picked up the tab. We chose this location in particular because these are all small lots. We're also in a working-class community. Uh, generally, we're looking at full-time residents here and people who really can't afford necessarily to upgrade their septic systems. To install one of the new systems, a crane uses chains to lift a concrete tank the size of a minivan and lower it into a hole in the ground. This new improved septic system looks pretty low tech. The tank has one compartment filled with wood chips and workers pour limestone rocks into another. The ingredients create a breeding ground for special bacteria that eat nitrogen before it gets into the groundwater. All Cape Cod communities with affected waterways have to clean up their wastewater under the new state regulations. Most of the solutions people are talking about are expensive, installing improved septic tanks like these or sewer systems. There's government money to subsidize both, but some costs will still fall on homeowners, probably in the range of tens of thousands of dollars. This is a really expensive process. Again, Pat Ullman, who lives by Shubal Pond. But the Cape economy is still people coming here in the summer. So if they can't swim in um, our ponds, they can't swim in our ocean, they can't boat, there's not going to be any reason for them to come here. For the Cape, the cost of the cleanup will be hard to bear. But the cost of doing nothing, as Almond says, is unbearable. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Barbara Moran. This project was produced in collaboration with Scientific American. You can see its video about Cape Cod's water problems at WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by La Cuchara Restaurants and Food Truck, helping you rev up your corporate and private events. Online booking available at lacuchara.com. One of the things I love about Barbara Moran's stories is she always goes to the place where the story is happening. You always, uh, well, very often get a laugh out of something that she's uh, she's uh, a person she's interviewing or where she's great at looking at finding out characters and really getting the character of a story of a place through the voices that she presents. And she did that so well in that story about Barnstable having to abide by, as other communities on the Cape are, these state regulations that are forcing communities to clean up the water. It's just one of the many things we're asking you to please make a contribution to right now on WBUR as you also get some gorgeous flowers for your Valentine on Valentine's Day Wednesday been that kind of a stretch of time where it may be just, you know, hitting your radar where you realize, oh, Valentine's Day's on Wednesday. i got to do something. And then, of course, we have this storm moving through tomorrow. Luckily, it'll be a quick one. So it'll be okay to get something delivered on Valentine's Day. And we humbly suggest that you consider Winston Flowers and that you humbly, we humbly consider getting them from WBUR because then your money that you spend on this gift will also become a contribution for this news that you that you get from all of our reporters here and at NPR and beyond. So you're really doing something meaningful on a very big level when you choose to do this. And you've got just a couple hours left 
because we have to stop taking orders at eight o'clock this evening. And again. that's something different. I mean, yeah. it wasn't in our in our game plan until no. the storm came along. No, the storm had other ideas. So here we are. So you've got just a couple hours left to get your order in. WBUR.org is where you do it. WBUR.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-909-9287. And uh, we should say that you might think when you hear about Winston Flowers, which you do every year around this time on WBUR, that this is some huge conglomerate uh, walk, working out of uh, Florida or New York or Los Angeles. Um, it's a locally owned, family owned enterprise. It's been around for decades. And the only reason that we pair up with Winston Flowers is because we have complete faith in the quality of what they do and in their ability to deliver to so many people who call in. And maybe, Jay Clayton, you have an idea of how many people generally order Winston Flowers. Gener- generally, it's in the three to 4,000 range in each of these fundraisers. That's a lot of roses. Yep. That's yeah. a lot of roses. And ranunculus yeah. and orchids and all the other things that we're looking at right now in the studio. So uh, we hope that, um, that you trust our trust in Winston Flowers. We know that you trust our news. So it's a great combination right now, a great way to support both by calling 1-800-909-9287, checking out the flowers at WBUR.org, making a pledge there. Part of your contribution comes straight to WBUR. Another way to say it, Elisa, if Winston Flowers were a radio station, it would be WBUR. Right. That's the you know, that's the parallel of the quality there. And, you know, and the reverse is true, too. If we were a florist, we would be Winston Flowers. It's just, you know, that gives you an idea of the quality that you're getting because, you know, the quality that you get from WBUR. But if you've never had Winston Flowers, it's on that same level. So you can trust this. We will have your back and we will get your Valentine's Day gift delivered on Wednesday on Valentine's Day. But again, to do that, you are running out of time. We need your order in the next two hours by 8 o'clock this evening. And all you have to do is go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And just remind us how far we can get the flowers. All the the way to anywhere in New England. Any place in New England, and they'll be delivered on Valentine's Day. That's right. Sounds like such a good deal. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Four gorgeous choices. Take a look at WBUR.org and order yours. 1-800-909-9287. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from the station. And from Progressive Insurance with Snapshot, a personalized program that bases rates on safe driving habits at Progressive.com. Not available in California or from all agents. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at alignprobiotics.com. From Cunard, sailing to over 250 destinations with Queen Mary II, Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth, and Queen Anne. Each voyage is dedicated to a world of fine dining and entertainment. Cunard.com. And from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at macfound.org. I'm here and now host Scott Tong, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. 
Former President Donald Trump is asking the Supreme Court to hit pause on his federal election interference case. NPR's Kerry Johnson reports Trump's preparing an appeal over an appeals court ruling that denied him absolute immunity from criminal prosecution. Lawyers for Trump want the Supreme Court to indefinitely delay the trial at a federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. They say an appeals court was wrong when it decided last week that Trump is not entitled to a legal shield for allegedly conspiring to obstruct the 2020 election after he lost to Joe Biden. The three-judge panel said they could not accept the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. What the Supreme Court does and how quickly it acts could determine if Trump faces trial in D.C. before the November election or at all. Trump could scuttle the case altogether if he returns to the White House next year. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. Egypt says it may be prepared to void its decades-long peace treaty with Israel as it begins a large-scale offensive on Rafah, the area where more than a million Palestinians are currently sheltering in a densely packed area near the Egyptian border. The current treaty between the two took shape during the Camp David Accords brokered by former President Jimmy Carter. It was the first time an Arab country recognized Israel. A substantial part of the Northeast is gearing up for what could be a major winter walloping. Some areas, including Boston, looking for the possibility of up to a foot or more of snow starting overnight and into tomorrow morning. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu says they're already starting to prepare ahead of the storm. Starting tonight at 10 p.m., we are also declaring a snow emergency. That means that parking bans will be in effect on posted roadways and major arteries to ensure that we can keep streets clear of snow and available for emergency vehicles. Boston schools will be closed tomorrow in New York City, where snow and sleet is also in the forecast. The nation's largest school system says it's switching classes to remote learning. Southwestern Connecticut could see 12 to 15 inches of snow based on the latest forecasts. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 125 points today to a new record high. As NPR's David Gurr reports, optimism about the economy is fueling the stock market's record-setting run. Many companies have said they did better in the last few months than Wall Street expected. And Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has acknowledged how far the economy has come. But he said Fed policymakers want to see more strong data before they cut interest rates. RBC Capital Markets' Lori Calvacina expects that will happen in the not-too-distant future. You know, the, the data is headed in the right direction in terms of the economy being stronger than a lot of people thought and inflation really being on the mend. New data will be critical. The U.S. government releases the Consumer Price Index for January on Tuesday. David Gura, NPR News, New York. Other sectors of the market, including the tech sector, were more restrained. The Nasdaq was down 48 points. The S&P closed down four points today. You're listening to NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. Good evening. I'm Lisa Mullins. A winter storm warning goes into effect at 1 a.m. for Worcester, Boston, and everywhere east of 495. The storm is expected to arrive before sunrise and exit before sunset tomorrow. WBUR's meteorologist Danielle Noy says as of now, the forecast has the storm dropping up to six inches of snow in Boston. But she says you should watch out for the forecast closely as you plan your commute. Tune in tonight and tomorrow morning because any slight shift... 20 miles, right, will make a big difference in between, you know, three to five inches or less than that or slightly more. I do still think it's a day to kind of hunger down if you can. Um, And if you are headed in, head in early and then maybe stay a little bit later because things will be wrapping up later in the day. So a kind of avoid that height of the storm through the late morning and afternoon would be the best bet. It's expected to be a heavy and wet snow. It could knock out some power. Eversource spokesperson Priscilla Ress says the crews are being brought in and positioned for the storm ahead of time. 
all of our own crews are ready to go as soon as the storm hits. And then, of course, they are scheduled in such a way that we can keep that effort going um, as long as that storm is impacting us. Classes are already canceled in a number of communities, including Boston, Worcester, Cambridge, Brookline, and Framingham. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu says the city is opening an overflow shelter. The site is at a daytime engagement center near the South End that provides basic resources, medical care, and recovery services for people struggling with homelessness and substance abuse. Mayor Wu says that's about a quarter of the beds at the city and other run shelters that are now taken by newly arrived migrants. The shelters have been operating at expanded capacity already for a number of weeks uh, with people sleeping on cots and sometimes having to put out mats when it is getting to overflow. And so we're opening up the engagement center just for overnight overflow for up to um, 30 individuals who need it. The mayor emphasized that nobody has been turned away from a shelter. She expects the overflow site to remain open for about a month through the end of winter. Gasoline prices in Massachusetts are ticking up. According to AAA, the average gas price in the state is $3.16 a gallon. That's up two cents in the past week. It's still, though, three cents lower than the national average. In the forecast, 45 degrees now in the Boston area. The winter storm warning starts at 1 in the morning. Early morning rain changing over to snow that should last through the day. The heftiest part of the storm could be between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. And in terms of accumulation, it's changing now. Looks like the higher amount should be south of Boston, about 8 to 12 inches around Brockton and the south coast. In Boston, anywhere from 3 to 6 inches, a little bit less on Cape Cod. This is 90.9 WBUR. It's 6.07. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation, for nearly a century supporting efforts to promote a just, equitable, and sustainable society. More at Mott.org. And the listeners who support this NPR station. I'm Amanda Beeland, and I'm a senior producer with Radio Boston. My mom loved her car. She was so proud of it. It took her to work and brought her home. It guided her on trips to see family and friends. Eventually, she'd use it to go to cancer treatments and as a refuge during emotional days. After she died, I inherited that car. It was her last gift to me, and I think about her every time I drive it. Often I'm traveling the same road she did, to work and back home. But the cars also brought me to faraway places too, like the deserts of New Mexico and the valleys of Yellowstone National Park. You never know the lasting impact of a gift, what one thoughtful gesture can do. This Valentine's Day, send flowers from WBUR, a gift with lasting impact. Choose the perfect one at WBUR.org. And there are four to choose from. When you go to WBUR.org, you'll see them. There are a dozen red roses, two dozen red roses, a beautiful ultimate uh, romance uh, bouquet that's in front of us right now as are the pink and pink tea roses and red roses that you get in the Flower of the Month Club, Arrangement of the Month Club. These are really gorgeous. And as Amanda was saying there, it's kind of nice to give the flowers to somebody you love. But I'm thinking also it's really nice to give them to somebody who doesn't expect them, you know, who means something to your life, has an enduring impact. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. Um, Maybe it's a relationship with a teacher or a former teacher or somebody who did something nice for you. 
um, your own kind of unsung hero. Whatever it is, please make the donation right now to WBUR, and it is in part a donation because we um, uh, get some of the money that we uh, that you give us for the flowers. And please do it in honor of somebody that you especially want to um, memorialize or just um, give, do something really nice for. And you can add a little note, by the way, on the card as well. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Jay, not much more time in this offer. No, not much more time because we have to stop taking orders, uh, including your order, we hope, at 8 o'clock this evening in order to get your flowers delivered Wednesday on Valentine's Day because we have this little storm that is going to step in tomorrow, but it will step away tomorrow night and we will be able to get your flowers delivered on Wednesday. But again, we need your order by 8 o'clock this evening. And when Amanda Beeland says, you know, it's a gift with lasting impact, when you get Winston flowers, you remember them, right? They're that they're that spectacular. These are really works of art that their designers put together. And the other lasting impact, of course, is on our journalism here at WBUR because you're continuing to fuel journalism that, quite honestly, is under tremendous economic pressure at a time when it's never been more important across our communities. So you're really doing something meaningful in a couple of different ways. And all it takes to do that is to go to WBUR.org, take a look at the four choices, decide which one is perfect for you and the person you want to send it to, and it'll take you just a couple of minutes to put that order together. Again, that's WBUR.org. And when there's a lasting effect, as Jay said, on not only the person who receives the flowers, but also on WBUR, it comes through in the stories, such as all of those that you've been hearing on the air so far today and that you're about to hear, including the story about the corroding of the relationship between the U.S. and uh, Israel, Netanyahu and Biden. You're going to hear former U.S. envoy to the Middle East, Dennis Ross, talk about that. We're also going to be hearing a remembrance of Bob Edwards, who was, for many of you who've been listening to NPR for a long time, the the, the voice of NPR at one point. He was the Morning Edition host at one point. He also hosted All Things Considered. Uh, he died at the age of 76 over the weekend, and he left so much to NPR, including an influence on the people who you hear on the air today. So that's just two of the things that are coming up. You also will hear business news coming up at 6.30. You're going to be hearing on point. Everything that you hear comes at a cost. You help defray those costs. And when you do that right now with a gift, you get some beautiful Winston flowers. Wednesday is Valentine's Day. Tomorrow is going to be a really snowy day. So what better chance to take advantage of getting somebody that you really appreciate some flowers right now? Just over, uh, uh, just under rather a couple of hours left, though, to get in on this. We have to stop taking orders at 8 o'clock this evening. So take a moment right now. Go over to WBUR.org. Choose the gift that is right for you. The dozen or two dozen roses, the ultimate arrangement, or maybe flowers every month for the next year, beginning with roses on Valentine's Day. Any of them are perfect. Any of them become contribution to WBUR. 1-800-909-9287 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Or, again, go to WBUR.org. As always, we are so grateful for your support. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Executive Ph.D. Program in Business at Bentley. Three years part-time for experienced professionals seeking data research skills. Info session on February 21st.
This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. We begin this hour, though, with the conflict between Israel and Hamas. The question looming over the war in Gaza right now is this. What will happen to the southern city of Rafah? More than half of Gaza's population has sought refuge there, an estimated one and a half million people. Israel says that in order to defeat Hamas, it needs to bring the war to Rafah. The Biden administration says that would be a disaster. We have been absolutely clear that under the current circumstances in Rafah, a military operation now in that area cannot proceed. That is Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, speaking on NPR on Friday. On Sunday, the White House says Biden reiterated that position in a phone call with Netanyahu. So is this a hairline crack or the beginning of a larger rift between the U.S. and Israel? And how might it reverberate across the region? Well, to answer those questions, I'm joined by Ambassador Dennis Ross. He spent more than a decade as the Mideast Special Envoy for both the George H.W. Bush administration and the Clinton administration. Ambassador, welcome back to All Things Considered. Good to be with you. Thank you. So start right with this current moment. We have President Biden warning Prime Minister Netanyahu, do not invade Rafah. That would be a disaster. We have Netanyahu saying Hamas cannot be destroyed unless they invade Rafah. Do you see any middle ground between those two positions? Well, I do see a middle ground. I think the prime minister is probably right that you can't succeed in demilitarizing Gaza and, in effect, uh, demilitarizing Hamas uh, unless, in fact, you're able to deal with Rafa, both from the standpoint that there are probably four battalions of Hamas uh, fighters there on the one hand, but also that border of Egypt and Jordan, uh, sorry, Egypt and Gaza mm-hmm. has been kind of a sieve. So you really need to you need to be there to prevent that or at least work out something between Egypt and Israel. So but I think, then again, this million and a half people who are there who have been told to go there because they'll be safe. I was going to say there's sort of two ways that you bridge these differences. The first way is that the people who are there are going to have to be evacuated, but you can't simply evacuate them unless you have someplace else for them to go within Gaza, and that someplace else for them to go within Gaza also has to be able to receive them, meaning you have to have humanitarian assistance that can go to them. You have to create shelter for them. So if, in fact, the Israelis are going to go to Rafah, into Rafah, to deal with that military dimension of of Hamas, they have to come up with a plan that is workable uh, for evacuating people, and there has to be someplace in Gaza for them to go, The ground has to be prepared from a humanitarian standpoint to be able to absorb them. The second area where you have to work something out is between Egypt and Israel, because Egypt made it very clear it's not in favor of Israel doing this unless this is understood between the two of them. Ambassador, setting aside the specifics of how they may or may not work that out, to the question of the U.S.-Israel relationship and these increasingly stern warnings we are hearing from the Biden administration, I I pose the question, is, is this a hairline crack in the relationship or a deeper rift? What do you think? Well, I don't think it's fundamental to the relationship, but I do think it relates to the relationship between the president and the prime minister. Uh, Look, you have President Biden, who is the only American president who ever went to Israel during a war, who immediately comes to the defense of Israel in international forum, Mm -hmm. who has taken on some, you know, political water here for doing what he's done, stood up in many respects to a lot of international pressure to stand by Israel. So I think he feels that he has really put himself and uh, himself on the line. I think he's built a lot of political credit in Israel. Uh, 
And I think what he's seeking is a little bit more responsiveness from Prime Minister Netanyahu to the things that he's asking. Right. And that was widely seen as part of the initial calculation that the U.S. would not sternly lecture Israel in any way in the hopes of being able to privately wield some influence behind the scenes. Has that worked? What leverage does the U.S. have here? Well, I think to some extent it has worked because there's, I think it needs to be understood within Israel because the hostages have been held, because of the trauma of October 7th, because there's been no access for the Red Cross to the hostages. There is a powerful sentiment, not just in the right wing, but across the whole body politic, that Israel shouldn't be providing humanitarian assistance at all until, in fact, the hostages are released or at least access is given uh, to the hostages. That hasn't happened, and yet because of uh, the present, Israel did create humanitarian quarters. It has allowed humanitarian assistance to go in. Given the politics in Israel right now, you wouldn't have seen that at all had it not been for the pressure from the United States and from President Biden. So it has worked. Obviously, it hasn't worked well enough, but I think to to somehow argue that it hasn't worked at all is to ignore what the realities are. We have about a minute left. Let's apply everything you've just said again back to this current moment. If Israel does go ahead and send ground forces in in a major invasion of Rafah, as they have said they will do, Israel is threatening to suspend its peace treaty signed back in 1979. Should the Biden administration continue to stand as strongly as it has with Israel? Well, I think it can stand strongly with Israel by making itself very clear and that Israel shouldn't do this. I would be very surprised if Israel will go ahead and do this without an evacuation plan. And here I think the U.S. can work closely with them to help make that evacuation plan workable from a humanitarian standpoint. Okay. We have been speaking with Ambassador Dennis Ross, who spent more than a decade as the U.S. envoy to the Middle East for both President George H.W. Bush and President Clinton. He's now a distinguished fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Ambassador, thanks as always. Pleasure. Thank you. Veteran broadcaster and longtime host of NPR's Morning Edition, Bob Edwards, has died. He was 76 years old. Edwards joined NPR when it was still in its infancy, and he left an indelible mark on its sound. Lynn Neary has this remembrance. First and foremost, there was his voice. Good morning. Representatives from 35 nations meet today in Copenhagen to discuss Eastern Europe. It's Kuwaiti Independence Day, and Allied troops have advanced to the edge of Kuwait City. Booby traps are a danger at the scene of yesterday's high school shootings in Colorado. I'm Bob Edwards. It was, says NPR's Susan Stanberg, a voice that became part of a morning routine for millions of Americans. He was... Bob Edwards of Morning Edition for 24 and a half years, and his was the voice we woke up to. If you're like me, when you first heard that voice, you might have imagined a figure of great authority, an avuncular newsman dressed in a pinstripe suit. That was not Bob Edwards. He was really casual. I mean, he walked in the door at 2.30 in the morning. You could sort of set your stopwatch to the time Bob would walk in the door, and he was tall and lanky and wore jeans and... I think, if I remember right, was sort of pretty much always in a flannel, untucked flannel shirt. Margaret Lowe, now the CEO of WBUR in Boston, started as a production assistant on Morning Edition. Lowe says Edward's seeming casualness belied a seriousness about radio, about the news, and especially about the art of writing. Like several of his contemporaries at NPR, he studied writing at American University with former CBS journalist Ed Bliss. I have this total image 
of Bob sitting in his office on M Street and it would be dark outside because it would be the middle of the night and he faced the window overlooking CBS News and he would be typing on his manual typewriter with these really, really big keys and they would be go click, click, click and behind them you would hear outside of his office were the AP and Reuters wires. You know, there were just sort of these sounds of the middle of the night and Bob Edwards typing. But he used to say that Ed Bliss sat on his shoulder as he wrote. Lowe says Edwards was the consummate newsman. He was a total news guy and um, I think uh, understood the news deeply. And in some ways, you know, he sort of set the bar for how we approach stories because, you know, he would convey these stories with a kind of simplicity but also with real depth and, and make sure that they somehow resonated. And, you know, that's lasted. Bob started his career at NPR as a newscaster, then hosted All Things Considered with Susan Stamberg. And Stamberg says that at times their styles clashed. We had five good, if rocky, years together until we sort of got one another's rhythm because he was Mr. Cool. He was Mr. Authoritative and straight ahead. I was the New Yorker, you know, with a million ideas and a big laugh. But we really adjusted rather well. Stamberg remembers Edwards for his humor, a quality that was often on display in his hundreds of interviews with newsmakers, authors, musicians, and singers like Dolly Parton. Would you ever consider doing something totally out of character? Uh, well, define what you mean completely. You mean to tear down everything, to not wear the wigs, to not wear the makeup, well, to not to, to have the boobs removed or something? Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> uh. No, but I mean, are you talking about the, not the outrageous look? There are only so many sacrifices one should make <laughs> for a joking. role. I mean. One of Edward's longest-running radio relationships was also one of his listeners' favorites, his weekly conversation with sports broadcasting legend Red Barber. Good morning, uh, Colonel Bob. It's uh, the 29th of the month and 29 degrees. <laughs> Where, in there? Right down here. Oh, well, it's not going to get too much warmer than that here. No, we've had our, our winter's cold dip, and uh, uh, nobody got hurt too much. Well, this city's pretty excited, uh, preparing for uh, their team to be in the Super Bowl. You'll be watching? Oh, sure, of course. I'll, I'll, I'll be watching. After all, in the business that I'm in, uh, suppose you asked me next week uh, about some things in the Super Bowl, and I said, well, I'm sorry, Bob, I didn't see it. <laughs> Edwards eventually wrote a book about his radio friendship with Red Barber, the first of three books he authored, including a memoir, A Voice in the Box. Edwards left NPR after the company decided to remove him as host of Morning Edition. Though his many fans protested mightily, Edwards closed out his last show on April 30, 2004, ending just as he had started, by interviewing one of his radio heroes, Charles Osgood. Do you know why we're talking here? Uh, it's not I just your I, book. <laughs> you were the first person I interviewed for Morning Edition, and I wanted you to be the last. My goodness, how how many years ago was it we did the first one, Bob? Twenty-four and a half. My goodness. Well, time does fly, doesn't it? You're the Alpha and Omega. Edwards went on to host his own interview show at Sirius XM Radio and continued to be heard on many public radio stations on Bob Edwards' weekend. But Margaret Lowe says his contribution to NPR will never be forgotten. He sort of set the tone and the bar for all of us. He understood the power and the intimacy of our medium and captured the attention of millions and millions of people who are still with us today. Lynn Neary, NPR News, Washington. 
That's a really good point that uh, our CEO, Margaret Lowe, made there. Um, She formerly worked at NPR. Bob Edwards understood the power and the intimacy of radio. And those of us who have made a living working in radio look to people like Bob and the other founders of NPR uh, for the tone, for the honesty, for the authenticity that you get now uh, on stations, WBUR and all across the country. So we, um, we, we, we tip our hat to Bob Edwards, who died at the age of 76 over the weekend. Uh, we have a little bit of business to get to here. In honor of Bob, in honor of WBUR and all the radio stations around, we are in the midst of fundraising right now. And as you know, it's a very difficult time for news, for local news in particular. And we're hoping that right now you will take advantage of two things. One is this opportunity, and it's going quickly, uh, to give to WBUR by getting some gorgeous Winston flowers. Here's Jay Clayton to tell you about it. Yes, you can send a dozen or two long-stemmed red roses to somebody that you care about for Valentine's Day. Maybe it's multiple people. We have. Uh, I heard about one donor the other day who has a tradition of sending uh, a dozen roses to his wife and to each of his children. Children, and he sends them through WBUR because it helps support our journalism. And you can do that, too, whether it's, you know, one gift or or more than one. You decide and however you want to send a dozen or two dozen roses or the ultimate arrangement or the flower of the month, which is seasonal flowers delivered every month throughout the year, starting with a dozen, uh, starting with a, an arrangement of roses on Valentine's Day. But either way, you've got only until 8 o'clock, only about another hour and a half left to get your order in, and it will be delivered on Wednesday. It's really that simple, really that quick and easy, and very much that thoughtful, Lisa, to send these gifts from WBUR. So consider that. Go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909-9287. And so because of the storm, we're ending this fundraiser tonight instead of tomorrow. Uh, because of the storm, there won't be, from what I understand, Jay, deliveries of the flowers tomorrow, but there will be on Wednesday, Valentine's Day. We, well, we had some deliveries scheduled earlier, but we stopped taking those once we realized, you know, the, the potential severity of the storm. Because, you know, the main thing is we want to make sure the flowers get where they need to be safely and, and, and in a timely way. Right. So the storm is ending tomorrow at uh, right about this time, or should be out right about this time. It's supposed to be a sunny and dry day on Wednesday, Valentine's Day. So the flowers are very likely to arrive uh, in time on Wednesday for somebody to really enjoy them. And they are such high quality flowers. You're going to enjoy them for a long time. Uh, The ones that we have here in the studio have been here day after day after day, and they're still looking beautiful. 1-800-909- 9287 or look at the array online at wbr.org and place your order there. Hi, I'm Dory Halpern, the senior editor at On Point. From the moment the sweet nurse laid all seven pounds, 10 ounces of her on my chest, I was fully and completely hers. Ellie was born in April. So this Valentine's Day is all about the new great love in my life. I want her to be happy and independent and strong, but Mostly I want her to know how loved she is every single day, how the love her dad and I have for her has made our lives infinitely better. It's a love so big, it is who I am now. Send the great loving your life flowers on Valentine's Day and send them through WBUR to help us all have the conversations we need to have every day. Choose the perfect gift at WBUR.org. You can send them to the great love of your life. You can send them to your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, your niece, your nephew, your best friend 
your workmate, anyone that you want to let them know, hey, I'm thinking of you on Valentine's Day for any particular reason. And it's a meaningful gift for them and for WBUR because your your generosity becomes support for our journalism that you depend on. So just about an hour and a half left to take advantage of this offer. We have to shut it all down at 8 o'clock tonight. We won't be taking orders tomorrow, so get yours in while you can right now at WBUR.org or at 1-800-909-9287. And we hope that you remember all the journalism that you get from WBUR as you decide whether or not you want to make this contribution and get flowers at the same time. It's really actually a, a very good deal because for many people, if you're going to be ordering flowers anyway, and perhaps you're going to be giving to WBUR anyway, or you have in the past and it's time to up your pledge, this is a great time to do it. Um, the flowers will arrive on Wednesday. We are only taking orders through 8 o'clock tonight, so just another 90 minutes, and that is it. So please call now, 1-800-909-9287, or pledge online at WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink, and proud sponsor of The Heart of New England, the new IMAX film now showing at the Museum of Science Boston.